This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter, and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, more of our podcasts at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts, and you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. So this episode is a special episode. It's part two of our Heartland International Film Festival coverage that we're doing for this year. Um, uh, the Heartland Film Festival is a film festival that it is in its 28th year here in Indianapolis. They have a very great selection of films this year, uh, as they always do. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to be covering it uh, throughout the last 10 or so days, and it's been so much fun, as it always is. It's such a blast to uh, check out these independent films and chat with the filmmakers and everything, which on that note, this is, like I said, it's part two of our coverage on the podcast. Uh, part one came up a couple days ago on the feed, and in it, I interview a bunch of filmmakers and, and special guests of the uh, festival on the red carpet, including Brendan Fraser, who is there for a... Uh, special 20th anniversary screening of The Mummy. Um, this episode is similar to that, sort of. This is a compilation of uh, interviews that were conducted at the Heartland Film Festival press junket um, uh, at Castleton in their uh, Francis Ford Coppola Winery Lounge. Um, this year, it's a very nice space to kind of relax and get a drink and kind of hang out and chat with filmmakers and other people at the at the festival. Like I actually ran into a woman that I worked with um, six years ago, um, and like she didn't recognize me, but uh, I chatted with her for a while. It was really cool. Um, so anyway, so this press junk, it was really great. It was uh, I was there for about four and a half hours and uh, talked to filmmakers from nine different films. And the I'm very proud of the content that we got and the the conversations I had were really fantastic. And I'm so thankful for Heartland for putting it all together because I just had a chance to chat with these filmmakers about their passion and, and their films and everything. And it was just such a great experience as it, as it always is. This is our fourth year covering it in the last five years. And it's never a dull moment. It's really fun and exciting. And uh, I'm really happy with the content that we have pieced together here for this episode of the podcast. So I'm not going to spend too much time with preamble, but I just want to say that this episode is a compilation of those interviews. I've got about two and a half hours worth of audio from that press junket covering nine different films, uh, several different filmmakers associated with the films. Um, I will put links in the show notes to all of their uh, home pages and, and Facebook pages and everything for each film. Just check the show notes at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV298. And, uh, yeah, I originally wanted to get this posted earlier in the day because there's still a couple days left of Heartland or about a day and a half left of Heartland. Tomorrow is the closing night, uh, screening of their closing night film, which is Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan and Brie Larson and a bunch of other people. I'm really excited about that. That's going to be at Newfields tomorrow night with an after party afterward as well. Um, I don't know if there's still tickets available, but go ahead and give it a shot and try it. Um, 
because it's such it's such a blast and Newfields is such a great venue for the opening closing night films and everything. Um so let's see. Oh, before I get into the actual reviews and stuff or the interviews, um the so I wanted to get this posted earlier this morning. I'm recording this Saturday afternoon. Um I wanted to get it posted earlier this morning, but I actually got a phone call early this morning from Kirsten, our one of our recurring co-hosts that her cat was missing because she just moved into a new apartment. So I raced over there and, and we looked for the cat and everything. Um, we'll talk about that next time she's on the podcast, but just suffice it to say the cat is safe and home and safe and everything. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you shared it around Facebook and, and social media when I posted it, thank you so much. Um, it was a, that was a very hectic day. <laughs> so, um, but what I, what I'm getting at is I was going to post this earlier this morning so that I could prompt, uh, the different screenings that were, that were happening today and tomorrow for the films that are discussed in these interviews. However, since it's probably not going to go up until early evening, um, I'm just going to run down uh, the one screening that's available of these films uh, tomorrow. So um, tomorrow, uh, Moonlight Sonata is going to be playing at Newfields at 1215 um, tomorrow. So if you want to check that out, check it out tomorrow. Um, but also, before I get into the actual interviews, um, today was the awards brunch for Heartland. And what they did this year that's a little different from previous years is that they actually put, they combined the awards night celebration with the filmmakers brunch that they have each year. So um, that was together. I didn't go to the brunch because I was... Uh, helping save a cat but um <laughs> uh but i did not help save the cat <laughs> but we'll get into that next time kirsten's on so anyway um but they did announce the winners for this year's Heartland Film Festival, and I'm going to run those down. I'm very excited about the winners uh, because there are some that are that uh, you'll hear interviews with the filmmakers here, and um, just really excited. And a lot of the movies uh, that won are ones that I've seen, and cannot be more happy for the filmmakers um, because it's very well deserved. So. The winners for the 28th Heartland International Film Festival um, for Best International Feature Film Oscar Contender was Pain and Glory, which I didn't get a chance to see, but I've heard great things about. Um, the Indiana Spotlight Audience Choice Award was We Shall Not Die Now, which is phenomenal. You'll hear my interview with uh, the filmmaker, and he uh, he we had a really great conversation at the press junket, which you'll hear. Um, the uh Fipresky, um, it's like a, a foreign press. I can't remember what exactly what it stands for. The, yet last year was their first introduction of the uh, the award. But anyway, uh, looked it up heartlandfilm.org. Um, so the uh, Fipresky um, best directorial debut for a USA narrative was Standing Up, Falling Down, which you will hear my interview with Matt Ratner, the director of that film, here in this episode in the press junket. Um, super happy uh, for this one. I got a chance to see it last night, and it is phenomenal. It's really great. Really amazing performances from Ben Schwartz and Billy Crystal, and also Nate Cordry from Studio 60 is in it. Like, it's it's a really incredible film. It's a, it's a comedy drama about... Um, well, you'll hear about it in the interview. So, uh, super happy for Matt and the people that, uh, that put together uh, are involved with Standing Up, Falling Down. Uh, the winner of the Jimmy Stewart Legacy Award was Fire on the Hill. And the uh, winner for the Richard D. Probst Social Impact Documentary Feature Award was For Sama, which I'm seeing tomorrow. Can't wait. I've heard incredible things about that documentary. Um, check out a friend of mine, uh, 
I think Evan re- reviewed it on MidwestFilmJournal.com. Uh, and yeah, he did. And when, when I read that review, I was like, yep, I have got to see this. <laughs> so I'm excited to see that tomorrow. Um, and the Richard D. Probst Social Impact Narrative Feature Award was The Garden Left Behind, which I've also heard really great things about. Um, and Richard D. Probst, Richard Probst, he's, he's great. He's a member of the uh, Indiana Film Journalist, Journalist Association that I'm part of, and he's, he's a riot. So um, really happy with those selections, and I'm really excited to see – well, I'm really excited to see the films. But um, uh, the best premiere narrative feature for Heartland Film Festival was System Crasher, which I haven't gotten a chance to see, um, and the best premiere documentary documentary feature was Barefoot, the Mark Balmer uh, story. Really happy with this. I haven't got a chance to see the film yet, but I did interview the filmmakers and the parents of the subject on the red carpet in the previous episode of the podcast, and it's just... It sounds like such an important documentary and such a such a great documentary as well. So, um, congrats to them. Uh, the Humor and Humanity Award went to the aforementioned Standing Up, Falling Down. So, congrats to them. Really, really enjoyed that movie. Uh, really great. And then to round out the the big awards this year at Heartland Film Festival, uh, the Narrative Feature Grand Prize winner is House of Hummingbird, which I got a chance to see last weekend. Uh, very interesting kind of, kind of coming of age drama, um, uh, set in Korea. It's, it's really, it's a, it's a powerful film. I'm, I'm really happy with that, uh, selection. And then the documentary feature grand prize winner was For Sama, which I, again, I'm really excited to see that, to, uh, tomorrow. And then finally, the uh, Indiana Spotlight Grand Prize winner at Heartland Film Festival this year was The Miseducation of Bindu, which I've heard rave, rave reviews about it. Um, so very, uh, very excited to, to see that when, when I can. Um, I've, I've heard really great things about it. So congratulations to all the winners and the finalists at this year's Heartland Film Festival. Like you will hear several times in these, in these interviews, um, I've been covering Heartland Film Festival for four out of the last five years. And this year, like they always, they always get, they curate a great selection of films um, each year. It's always, there's always really great uh, films playing at Heartland. But this year it's like they outdid themselves. Like every movie I've seen has been really strong. Um, and it's, it's just really uh, <laughs> a little overwhelming, but it's, it's really great. Um, so congrats to Heartland and everything. There's more episodes that are to come. Uh, we're planning out uh, hopefully two more episodes to round out our coverage here. Those will come up next week um, on the feed, um, hopefully, probably late next week. So anyway, really excited about this year's Heartland. And uh, yeah, and also, as I said, I'm a member of the Indiana Film, Film Journalists Association. Uh, we're actually going to be... Um, awarding uh, a film for best uh, special presentation at Heartland Film Festival. That's going to be announced after the award, I think in December is when we're going to figure it out. But uh, really excited for that. I've seen some really great special presentation uh, features here at Heartland, uh, which will be the content of the fourth and final episode of this series of episodes about Heartland. So, uh, but yeah, but th- this is episode two. Um, let's go into the press junket interviews. These interviews were conducted yesterday at Castleton at the uh, Francis Ford Coppola Lounge. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce these. I'm just going to play these clean. Uh, I'll put the links in the show notes to the to it, and also if you want to check to if you want to jump to certain uh, interviews, uh, check the show notes for st- uh, timestamps as well. Again, those show notes are at obsessiveviewer.com/ov298. And finally, if you guys like my coverage or like this episode, please share it around because. Not only because I'm proud of the content, obviously, but also because these filmmakers are so passionate, and that's the that's the embodiment of uh, of independent filmmaking is just getting the word out about these projects. These are these are just independently done productions, and they are just you just feel the blood, sweat, and tears that go into it. So so please share this around, and uh, and you know maybe you know shout out to uh, Heartland and say hey I really liked Matt's coverage. So um, and follow Heartland at Heartland Film on social media and everything so without further ado here is my uh here are my interviews with several filmmakers from the heartland international film festival 2019 um conducted october uh when was yesterday um october 18th um yeah at the press junket so enjoy all right so i'm here with Viv and kirsty the directors of House of Champions, which has its U.S. premiere here at Heartland uh, 2019. I said 2015. I don't know where my head's at. Uh, here at 2019. Um, why don't you guys tell me about about the film and uh, about uh, your experience with Heartland so far? So House of Champions is about three adult uh, Special Olympic athletes who live in a supported community in New Zealand, small town New Zealand. Yeah, and um, so the, the the spine of the film is them training and preparing for the Special Olympics and everything else mm-hmm. that happens along the way, which is life and love and politics and eating badly and not training, <laughs> drinking, yeah, drinking, too much champagne. And generally it, it's a look at some lives that a lot of people don't know about. Okay. Yeah, so our, um, our leads, Celeste, Carla and Jonathan, uh, Celeste and Carla are both Down Syndrome okay. women in their mid, oh, mid-30s and 40s. And Jonathan is an, has, is undiagnosed, but um, it's people seem to think that he has Williams syndrome, which um, is often known as the happy gene. Okay. So there's a lot of hugging. Oh, the huggy gene. And the huggy gene. Yeah, yeah. And he's and, a he's a um, he's New Zealand's champion speed walker. Oh wow, that's incredible. Mm, yeah. Um, so, what attracted you guys to this to this project, and how did it come about? Well, we we moved. We were actually living in New York, and then we moved wow. back home, and um, just wanted to go to a small town. Mm-hmm. So, we went to the town where I grew up, and discovered that there was this trust there that um, was set up twenty odd years ago, and the, purely for people with different. Disabilities, yeah. yeah. So they got us in to make a um, 20th anniversary film. Mm-hmm. So we got to know everybody. Mm-hmm. And so fr- from there we ended up making another funded short film and then a funded web series and then this one. So we've kind of spent a lot of time filming these guys. Wow. So we're a big part of their lives and their families' lives and... 
you know. So this is our first feature, Doc. So we've gone, we've done the wow. steps. We've gone sure. from three minutes short, web series, feature Doc. Wow, that is really exciting. And you, how do you feel about having a, a, your first feature Doc? And uh, I know it's, it's having a US premiere. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's yeah. it's um, it's great because we always knew that we wanted to really, you know, when you make short films, you just touch. On a little aspect, you know, five minutes, you can't put a lot in it, but you still get the essence of the person. And um, and to make a feature doc means that you just, you just, with these guys, you have an idea of what is going to happen. You know, we knew we'd use the Special Olympics, because that, that, you know, that's it's a great, that's a it's good, a great story thread. Yeah, yeah. But it's, re- but it's really about... You know the fact that these guys have the same hopes and dreams. Like Celeste wants to get married, and it's never going to happen. Jonathan wants a job, but he also has, um, due to his vision impairment, oh, wow. he um, he d- d- started watching on things on TV that he could really listen to and understand. And we broadcast our Parliament on TV so Jonathan started listening to Parliament mm-hmm. and um, and in the film we take him to meet a politician who's doing the rounds of all the towns and mm-hmm. you know speaking his rhetoric <laughs> <laughs> and he he disses Jonathan which is oh. quite you know not that great for him sure. and um, wow. and and but Jonathan gets to answer a question about what their policy is on adults with intellectual disability getting employment and he and he doesn't really quite uh, he answered Jonathan's question and Jonathan's a little bit peeved by this sure. and so Jonathan writes to the Prime Minister who of course is our amazing Jacinda Ardern and he writes this letter to say what happened and and so it, what give away the ending <laughs> the, well it's it's radio should I give away the ending from um, radio <laughs> you want to dance around it because they yeah. definitely want to see it. <laughs> yeah. So he writes to the Prime Minister. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great because he, you know, we all have the right to write yeah, to Yeah, but also because he watches Parliament TV, yeah, yeah. he knows her. Yeah. As far yeah. as he's concerned. Yeah. He knows all these people. Right. Because he oh, watches yeah. it all the time. But And then and then Celeste, she's, she's our diva. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And she, and she really wants to get married. She has a boyfriend, and they want to marry. And and um, and she's very much caught up in that that classic kind of world of sure. a wedding, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. The wedding is the thing, isn't it? Whereas a marriage is quite different to a wedding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And Carla. Um, Carla is the sort of homemaker, and and she was uh, born in Holland, and she's travelled the world. And even though she doesn't read or write, she can speak three languages, oh, probably. Wow. Yeah, she's also done. Yeah, syndrome. yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And it and it's a great community because you know there is we know that there's assisted living. Mm-hmm. You know, where a group of people will live in a house with, with support workers. But but the great thing about where these guys live is that it's it's two streets with all these beautiful old miners' cottages that the trust own. 
and, and most of the houses in those streets are people from the Trust. So they can just, and there's a cafe, cafe which is the hub, and they can just walk out their doors and they'll be somewhere where, there's, where they've got friends. And really that's, you know, friends, and that's a big issue for a lot of people with disability. Is, oh, yeah. yeah. And also being in a small town, they can just walk everywhere and the community are pretty supportive. I haven't heard any bad stories. Well, not recently anyway, but... You know, so they, they are very well supported by the community. That's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, something I always, I'm always eager to learn from, from uh, documentarians is, uh, like, how did it, how did you find the narrative of the, of the, of the film within, within the footage? And well, that's... Were there any surprises? Well, you, ha- you can't use everything, which is a right. shame, because no one would come to see it. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the great thing about having the the games kind of drive it, because we needed, rather than it just being a story that never really went anywhere, but would have been pretty interesting, but we needed to have a a thread and a beginning with a middle and an end, you know, so there was that, so off that came these themes really between discussions with them and their personal trainer. And she's a big part. She's a big, yeah, Fiona, she's great. Australian woman and she's nice. she's kind of loud and <laughs> and and funny herself, isn't yeah, she? In the way she she's a great trainer for these guys. She knows them really well and she pushes them. She takes no prisoners as far as the training goes. Oh, and she cool. and she listens to them um, when they come out with outra- you know, outrageous comments about life. She. <laughs> She goes, okay, yeah. now we'll just, we'll just focus on the games. And, you know, and there's all these great big ideas going on. Fiona brings it back in, and, and she she truly loves them. And, um, yeah, but as far as your yeah. question goes, it was... Um, <laughs> um, you, can't, you know, when you're shooting, you don't really know what this... I mean, that's what was, like I say, the games was great. But mm-hmm. apart from that, it was... You don't really know how it all fits till you cut the scenes right. and then drop the wall on the timeline. Sorry, and um, see what fits really, because it doesn't all fit. Sadly, we've got some great scenes that we're going to cut together for okay. Facebook got a Christmas scene coming up for for our web well, that we'll add to our web series. So oh, awesome. yeah. yeah, so it's just the two of, two of us. Mm-hmm. We're the shooting crew. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah. Kirsty. Um, I shoot, but it does sound yeah. great. That's awesome. And you guys have obviously worked together. Yeah, look, kinda, probably on and off yes. for about thirty years. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is, that is, that is. Well, we perfect. used to. We've both um, been worked in the New Zealand film business for years, oh, nice. and we were set de- decorators. And then I've moved into doing um, on-set stills for the last probably twenty years, I'd say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and for. So we learned. We never went to school to learn how to do it. We just learned by being involved in the industry. Just like the best way, just like hands-on, just like in in the thick of it and and just learning by experience. Yeah, we've we've done a few workshops on kind of how to craft stories and editing workshops. Because that's that's where films are made in the edit suite, right? I mean, 
you can gather all the raw material in the world, but if you can't make a story out of right. it, you're <laughs> fucked, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's having its U.S. premiere here at Heartland. Did it already have it? Yeah, on Tuesday. Tuesday? How yeah. did that go? How was good, that? yeah. Good. We had a good Q&A. Great. Because because it's about the Special Olympics, mm-hmm. I contacted Special Olympics Indianapolis, oh, nice. and um, we had some comps. And uh, this woman, Betty, and her nine adopted children came along. Wow. Who were all Special Olympians. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And they loved it, didn't they? They really loved it. And when we got back to our hotel last night, there was a package, and it was each of the nine children pretty much had written to each of our three characters. Oh, wow. And then that, and then someone had done these beautiful crochet hearts, that's, so it was just, it was beautiful. Yeah, that is fantastic. Yeah, and that's you know, it's just for people with disability to see themselves up on the screen being normal. Yeah, and there's and there's really nothing sentimental about our film. It's like just this is just who they are. It's not. You know, there's no violins in the soundtrack. Sure. Yeah. I know you kind of get a bit tired we of don't that. Push in yeah. On the yeah. Stuff. I did, I think. Did you push in? I think I did, yeah. Well, that's great. That's, yeah. that's incredible. And the music's great. It's written by um, yeah. one of our New Zealand top kind of pop stars at the moment. He, oh, he was pretty into the project. Yeah. So he, we'd use some of his kind of famous anthems, and then he wrote all the in- incidental music for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Lawrence Arabia. Lawrence Arabia, his name is. Check out his music; he's great. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah he's good. Yeah. Um, so, is there any like social media presence for House of Champions? Or yeah, it's on Facebook. Or? Perfect. Yeah, it's on Facebook and Instagram. House of Champions. Doc, I think it is, or film, one or the other. Perfect. Yeah. Well, I'll make sure to dig up the link and put Thank it in the show the Thank you. So, what's your next stop after Heartland? Um, Festival wise? Yeah. We're not sure yet. Okay. Yeah, Still we're trying to, to find out what to do. It's, it's screened on New Zealand television. Oh, nice. And um, I don't know, we're not sure what kind of life it's going to have. We'll have but to it's wait been and see. coming to the festival because you talk, you meet people. Oh yeah, and you talk about distributors and how you should go about getting your film out there and making contacts. Because otherwise, you just don't know, do you? We don't know. So okay, because we we kind of made it with the assistance of a New Zealand broadcaster, so they get the right, the first rights to it, and then it's like, but you you really want more than one one showing. Sure, you know, you spend a year making this thing that. You know, one hour on national TV is not really enough. So now we kind of need to work out how best to achieve that. So that's why we've come to this festival. Very cool. Well, mm. Viv and Kirsty, thank you so much for chatting with me. And uh, congratulations on the Thank film. you. And I hope you have a, a great rest of the festival. Are you guys sticking around? Yeah, we've got one more screening tomorrow. And then um, off to Chicago on Sunday for a week. Nice. Should be good. Then home. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Matt. Have a great one. Do you have a car? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Coming yeah. to one of the showings. Glad to hear um, I might try to, because I was able to uh, watch it early. Cause, uh, oh, you get the screeners, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, watch it, and I 
threw up a review and everything, and then uh, right on. Yeah, I might check out the screening of it. Awesome. I, I want to see it with the crowd. Like it's the yeah, type. Of that's the fun of it. Yeah, it's. Oh, yeah. What? Like, that's what I was most nervous about. Oh yeah. I don't know. Oh yeah. Uh, we're oh okay. No, I want to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm here with Nate and Daniel, the director. And, Hello. Uh, star. In, did you co-write as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was right. Of uh, Man Camp, which is a fantastic comedy that's playing at Heartland Film Festival this year. And uh, why don't you guys tell me a little bit about the film? Um, pretend that I don't know about it already, <laughs> and uh, let people know what it what it's uh, what it's about. Dan here has been fine tuning this. Sure, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's a little rusty because we haven't had to pitch it for a while. But, uh, no, Man Camp is the story of three brothers. Uh, they go on this annual tradition to remember their dad who passed away years ago, and they call it Man Camp. Uh, the only difference is this year they walk in and they find their mom messing around with this guy that they are not aware of. And uh, they, they have a bit of a reaction. And then it's, uh, you know what, mom? No, 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 no. Why don't she just leave him up here with us and we'll get to know him and uh, everything will be great. And they send her on her way and uh, let the games begin. Yep. They, they basically try to run him out of the family through through all means of... Violence, shenanigans, emotional abuse. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, like I said, I, I really enjoyed it. It's it's such a it's such a cleverly done com- like the the quips and one liners are just are amazing. I, I lo- like there are bits of it that like I was laughing about like days after I watched it. Um, <laughs> Particularly, not to not to spoil it, but just the use of the word "family zone." <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm so glad that you got that joke. Yeah. I was on a, a chairlift um, at a ski resort, and I was riding up. This was before we shot the film, and I saw that there were you know they have areas where you can't ski so fast and it said family zone and it hit me immediately (laughs) and i got my phone out on the chairlift and i called uh my writing partner partner scott who plays tim in the movie and i was like dude family zone (laughs) i was like she put me in the family zone and he's like i don't know man i was like yes it's in oh that is so great yeah yeah that that got a big big laugh out of me um yeah (laughs) that's great Uh, among many other many other lines um but we don't want to give too much away (laughs) no 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 this film is not about incest It had its world premiere here at Heartland, and, and uh, mm-hmm. you guys were talking about how you guys were a little nervous about that. How, how did it go? How was the... Oh, no, it's not... Um, we're doing it in... Um 2.45 today. Yep. Oh, nice. No, we did, um, we did two cast and crew screenings, okay. uh, and that was the first audiences that I had seen the film with, so that made me nervous. So we, okay. did, we did one in Denver for the Denver crew, and we did one in L.A. for the L.A. crew. And, uh, yeah, I was very nervous. I froze up. <laughs> um, yeah, but it went well. I, I was like, you know, the first time you watch it with an audience, you're just praying that people think it's as funny as you think it oh, is. Yeah. But, you know, you're stuck. In our case, we were in Dan's basement doing the first cut. Yep. And we were down there for like two months. Yep. Just kind of like, like, I think it's funny, but, you know, you dissect a joke to the frame yeah. uh, over just months and months. Yeah. You're like, I don't know what's funny anymore. I like I, I see like the structure of it, but I have seen it so many times. But it's it's usually helpful when you haven't 
seen a scene and then you go back after you know a couple weeks of looking at it and if it still can sort of make you laugh I think and there's still a handful of scenes in the film that you know if I even think about them I, I start laughing so. oh, yeah. same here <laughs> it's just it's, it's a delightful film well thank you and also I kind of want to touch on this it deals with some uh, pretty I wouldn't say wouldn't necessarily say heavy issues although mm-hmm. there, is some, there is some drama there it's, it's a yeah. drama dramedy essentially um, but one of the things that kind of really stood out to me was the way that it kind of deals with like this I don't want to I don't want to say toxic masculinity mm-hmm. like this this kind of like you can say like the the brothers are all in kind of this state of arrested development and mm-hmm. it's just a really interesting line that you guys kind of kind of tow because like these are like these are like pretty uh, self-destructive and outwardly destructive kind of character traits. but the brothers are so like likable in spite yeah. of that and it's just it's a really interesting kind of kind of way to characterize it um, can you speak mm-hmm. to kind of the themes of it and like how you dealt with those yeah things? yeah so sort of the impetus for writing the script impetus who am I um, <laughs> the thing that sort of spurred us to write it uh, Scott and I this was years ago we're sort we would take these hikes when we were living out in LA and uh, we were just talking about about that theme of how like well we don't feel fully grown up but we're in an age where we should yeah. <laughs> so what's going on there you know you feel, you feel like a kid and it was just sort of like started thinking of settings but yeah that's that's um that's sort of the theme of the film is like, where do we get stuck that arrested development and why, you know, and uh, h- how can we tell a story where it forces these characters to deal with uh, sort of this role that they've sort of cemented themselves in. I am this and I can't move past it. Um, you know, Tim is, has been in college for five or six years with, with no intention to, to graduate anytime soon, you know, these sort of, these sort of things. And, um, so yeah, we just thought like, and, and we were very aware as, as we were writing and shooting of like, you know, these guys are doing some pretty terrible stuff. Like to this Without much to, consequence yeah, actually yeah <laughs> and other than like being really mean to a really nice guy yeah yeah <laughs> so um so we're like we we have to find moments to to make these guys redeemable mm-hmm. one for us to sort of see their woundedness yeah. to sort of justify why they are the way that they are um and also to just to see because i think you know everybody has has those things that are like, ah, if you knew this about me, you wouldn't love me. And I was like, no, no, everybody has, everybody is, is, uh, still, you can root for them even though they're, <laughs> they're not the best person in the world. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I, th- I always thought, I mean, a lot of it is obviously the, the brothers, but I always thought the guy that they're torturing Alan, mm-hmm. I always thought he didn't, I thought he grew up late. I think, I thought he was just now maturing as well. I could see that. Um, yeah, he was never previously married, and mm-hmm. you know he's like in his fifties, and he's just now found love. Um, so yeah. I thought that was interesting. We never really like tap into that, but mm-hmm. that's kind of something I always had in the back of my head. But uh, is it is it Pete Gardner? Pete right? Gardner, yeah. yeah. Incredible, like incredible performance. Like, yeah, and he's so good. Just that that character alone is such a great like. I guess foil to to the brothers, and and it's just it's such a great combination of characters uh, that you guys like lined up there. It's just it's 
Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm gushing a little bit, but just his performance is incredible. And he's been in so many things. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah and he's never, like... Well, I, I mean, he's featured in ex, uh, ex, uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where I've seen... I'm sure he's done films where he's the main feature player, but I just thought he was so good, just like, oh, yeah. you know, spotlight on him. Mm-hmm. And and it that character had to be just right, because yeah. if it was... If it was the wrong actor, you would just not like the boy, the the, yeah. the boy characters because oh, yeah. they were just like the man boys. The man boys. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, we we definitely lucked out because he's you know he can def he's a guy who can take it. You know that we had auditioned a few. Uh, yeah, we 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 uh, yeah, like you said, he's he's a total foil. Like they try all this stuff, and this guy is like unshakable. Yeah. but in the most annoying, like cheery way. Right. You know, it's not like he's like you can't get me. He's just like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You know. Yeah. Um, and he was just so great to work with. You know, he uh, he came out and just was like part of the gang right away, and. Uh, just such a funny guy on and off camera i mean he just put puts everybody at ease and just goes into a take and and uh, i have to say be, like you said he's been in a lot of stuff yeah. where we're we're just now kind of creating stuff okay. so with he kind of pushed he kind of pushed us to like get get yeah. stuff done very which cool. was awesome nice. um yeah i mean because we had him for a very limited amount of time and uh there was one day where we're like ah, we're losing light i don't think we can get this scene today and he's like no we should get it today because once i'm gone we it's yeah. you know and we just changed. we just went yeah and that was <laughs> he went into the river yeah yeah wow. it was it was yeah so I mean, he was like, "Yeah, no, let's do it." And he like gets out into the shot, water. Yeah. Oh, that's so. so yeah, he was he was very. Also, in the editing, we noticed his his pro chops. Yeah. Because some of us, you know, we're writer actors, and and not, you know, we haven't been a series regular on a TV show. You get that experience. Sure. You could always cut on Pete because he he would have the exact <laughs> same movements every take. You're like, oh, that's great. oh good, oh good, <laughs> you know, because we yeah continuity on a low budget feature like ours it can be a, a bit of a headache at times that's awesome and another thing about about the film uh kind of about the themes of the film as well is it's not only just uh man boys and everything it's also them them uh contesting with their kind of this this larger than life ideal that they have for their father who passed yeah. away and how mm-hmm. it, like they have to come to terms with just like the pedestal that they've placed him yes. on, and how it's completely irrational, and like it's mm-hmm. very much like no one can can live up to that image, and that's something that like when it gets to kind of the narrative crux of the movie in regards to that, it's like it's a very like powerful scene, and it's just yeah. I love that there's there's kind of a shift in tone to to an extent from mm-hmm. comedy to drama, but like everyone is just like, boom, it's like, it's right there. And it's just feels really, uh, really raw and, uh, and relatable to some people. I'm yeah. sure. So yeah, I don't really have a question for that. <laughs> Good job. That was great. Thanks. Yeah. We, uh, we had thought about that, you know, because it's, it's just kind of given you start a film and you talk about how great this, this person was. And obviously, and I think it's culturally, mm-hmm. you know, nobody wants to, 
tear down somebody who's dead. Yeah. Uh, we only talk about the good things when we lose someone. Um, and over the years, that sort of becomes this sort of legend um, that nobody can live up to. Nobody, right. nobody lives that kind of life. Uh, you know, maybe Abraham Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, he probably. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that was something that we were like, yeah, I mean. I think, I think the film in general circles around a theme of like we all have our stuff that we need to to work through and it, you know nobody can be everything we want them to be mm-hmm. um, including the people that you know we we only want to remember them as, mm-hmm. as the best version of themselves and and rightly so you know when you yeah. lose someone it's not like you're gonna be like oh, I'm yeah. never gonna forgive them for that right. uh, it's sort of torturous but yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that you uh <clears throat> picked up on that because it, it was definitely something yeah. we wanted to. And I personally think it's important to have dramatic elements to oh, to absolutely, kind of punch up the comedy because oh, yeah. without it, um, it just becomes one dimensional and yeah, it and grounds the, it in this. Yeah, it like really grounds it, and I think that's yeah. really where we were successful. Is we did all these kind of like goofy things, but it was kind of all grounded in mm-hmm. kind of reality. And it really boils down to the performances. The performances were very natural. Um, you know, I don't think anyone was really... There was a couple times where we were going for the laugh, but most of the time we weren't really going for the laugh. We were just trying to, like, do the scene, like, um, as natural as possible. Yeah, but, yeah we'll say. There, there were, I think, a few scenes where we went for the laugh, and it was really funny. Um, and it didn't make it in the the film. Oh wow! <laughs> there's there's some really funny bits that we cut out because they were really funny, but they just they either <clears throat> sort of didn't didn't quite fit mm-hmm. with what was happening, or sort of killed the momentum of the story. Um, yeah, it was really those moments that we just let them play truthfully and honestly. I think we we succeeded in setting it, it up in such a way that that it was just funny on its own, you know. Just with a with a natural performance. Nice. So, the film was was written. Uh, was it written just by you and Scott? So Scott and I wrote uh, the initial few drafts, which look okay. almost nothing like the. <laughs> I had somebody read it. And they're like, "So is it a a, a thriller or?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have a friend, uh, Josh Long, who's our our third writer on this. Okay. Um, and we sort of we got the script to a place where it was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a bunch of scenes that were strong, but it just structurally needed needed some help, um, and just sort of needed to be stitched together in a in a, sure. in a craftful way. So he came on board, and uh, he just knocked it out of the park he works so fast and he brings his own humor to it that's just it's it's a whole other thing uh like scott and i definitely bring in like the bro humor but he is so witty and uh he sort of has this dry witty sense of humor that um i won't spoil it by like naming his jokes in the film but sometimes he'd send us like a pass of of a draft and i'd be like oh my gosh that is I would just be dying, just these little little quips and things. So, oh, yeah. Great. So there were three of us. Nice. So you star in the film as Adam, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Scott is Tim, mm-hmm. and then the third brother. It they didn't have it on there, but is it Kevin? If I'm Kevin. remembering Kevin, correctly, Kevin. Yep. Yes. By Eric Stockland. <clears throat> Eric Stockland. Eric Stockland plays Kevin. So, like, like you and you and Scott are writing partners and everything. Like, how did mm-hmm. Eric Stockland get involved? And he is. Are you guys as 
tight with him because the chemistry is just out of this world. Yeah, I I think that was uh, kind of just a miracle that we. <laughs> so we we worked with the casting director. We put the role out, um, and he was submitted by his agent. And uh, we we looked through, and a lot of the submissions that we saw were just not quite right. Some of them looked more like our brother, but we sure. you know we're we're just not um, not. A fit either played too young or just too too innocent or whatever, um, and we just we watched some of Eric's stuff and we were. I sent it over to Nate and I was like, I think he's the only one. Wow! <laughs> and Nate was like, Yes, I agree. And uh, and so we we put the offer out and uh, thankfully he said he he went to our website and watched. We had shot a, a scene of the movie uh, okay. to raise funds, nice. and so he went to our website and watched that. And because you know we're it's our first feature, so. Yeah. You know, to go out to Colorado to do this ultra low budget film, it's it's a big leap of faith. So right. he he saw that and he was like, okay, I think these guys can make a movie. Um, and so he came out and it was like pretty instant, you know, sort of kinship. We just we kind of hung out the first the first afternoon and evening and sort of talked through the character. We even talked through uh, the the like wardrobe choices. Yeah, uh, yeah he. Um he was looking for something to, uh, some kind of tangible thing to help his character out. Mm-hmm. And uh, our costume designer had brought this, like, cape vest hoodie thing. <laughs> and he really liked it. And I think he was concerned. He was, like, asking me, he was like, can I wear this? I was like, absolutely. Like, you can kind of do whatever you want. They were kind of joking throughout the day, like, what if I just wore this for the whole movie? And, it, and like, it, they, we just kept joking about it until it... <laughs> And then we were drinking later the night, and he was like, hey, but really, though, like, what if I did wear it for the whole movie? And we're like, if you want to, do it. Yeah. And nice. he did. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely, for me, it was that character could have been taken a hundred different directions. Yeah. Um, he was so much different than the, the other two brothers that I was like, you, I mean, I, it was, it was kind of like a, like an open thing. I was like, you can kind of, I trust you. You can kind of do what you want to do. If I feel it's way out of bounds, I'll just tell you, but it was never out of bounds. Like he just picked up. He knew exactly what to do. And he, he's an actor. Like he came in and, uh, you know, in the script, we wrote him as sort of the, the brother that just gets picked on. He's sort of the black sheep. Um, and he came in, and one of the first scenes we shot is is sort of a scene where he he sort of stands up for himself at, at a certain point in the movie. And Eric did a take, and both me and Scott were like, we, we sort of had the chills, and we're like, oh, oh no, <laughs> like huddle up, like this guy is powerful, and also like we are being really mean to him, and so like we have to find a way for this to be like come from a place of like a little bit of like love and uh, find some affection for this for our little brother here in this script because <laughs> because he's such a good actor if we just abuse him we are going to be just hated yeah yeah <laughs> and that's one angle to to that character the way that he uh he's he's kind of the most innocent i would say of of the of the brothers and like he's mm-hmm. the one that's uh kind of the He's a fan of of, um, of of Alan and the relationship and everything, and it it's just an interesting kind of 
kind of set up to have like each each individual brother having kind of a different take on on what's going on and like like your character has to be kind of convinced and everything cause yes of the three like your character is probably the most like put together and like almost mm-hmm. the straight man until it's <laughs> until it's like contending with the uh idea of of your guys's father and, mm-hmm. and uh and yeah yep 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I would say that character the most is the perspective of the audience. Yeah, the the um, he's kind. Of, that's the lens that you're looking at the film is kind of uh, through his eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we knew we, we knew we needed somebody in the script to uh, to sort of yeah, sort of be seeing it through third person. You know, Kevin is such sort of a zen yeah. presence uh, in the family and in the film you know he's good with whatever like if we're all happy and everything's good then I'm good you know and like he believes the best in everybody you know even his brothers you know he, he loves Alan he also loves his brothers so we're like yeah so we kind of wrote him to be that to be like he, he, he sees the redeemable qualities in everybody and he's, he sort of guides the film in that way everything but fish yeah <laughs> Yeah, yep. fish are not living things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. So, where can people find Man Camp online? Like your social media presence, website, and all that. Yep. So, uh, you can definitely go to our website, which is mancampmovie dot com. We'll we'll keep everybody updated with news and uh, information on the film as it gets closer to release. There, uh, Facebook definitely you can find us there. I think it's facebook.com slash man camp movie everything is man camp movie so our handle on instagram at man camp movie um so you can definitely find us there probably more active there we're we're getting better at the socials we're 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 just a little bit on the upper older crust of millennials so it it takes work for us i had a facebook account for a really long time and i just kind of got tired of it so i like canceled it which is like quite a feat like it's really hard to do and then we started making this film and we needed to promote it and i was like oh man yeah so i kind of restarted my facebook i have 100 friends hey friend me on facebook nice that's great. Um, so, oh, I, w- I did want to ask you about this. Um, there's kind of like uh, the use of kind of like uh, the drawings of the map and everything, the mm-hmm. kind of setting up like the different scenarios and stuff. Was that mm-hmm. all? Dan? Nice. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Real good at stick figures over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we actually Indiana Jones thing. We were kind that, of thinking of. Yeah, totally, it's like a, totally a cross between like Indiana Jones and Home Alone, <laughs> yeah, and um, yes. and we thought you know we felt like the vibe of the movie, and you can even see it in our poster art, is like a throwback to sort of those eighties, nineties comedies. Totally. Um, yeah. And so we just sort of leaned into that and, and decided to go for it. But yeah, that map actually we we drew it for. The for our teaser shoot for our for fundraising, so the so it's the same one. We're like, should we draw this again? Uh, I don't know. I kind of like this. Yeah, yeah. Like the little stick figures like on fire running around. It's yeah. it's it's pretty silly, but perfect. And it actually it. really helped. And oh. I don't want to give too much away, but there's a montage sure. scene and whatever. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
great. So do you guys have any stops coming up on the festival circuit? Yep. So next week we'll be at Austin Film Festival. Nice. Uh, so we'll be sort of, I think we're speaking on some panels there, uh, showing the film. And then uh, after that we're going home to Denver Film Festival, which is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, I think uh, we're going to have good turnout. People are excited about it, uh, about it there. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for chatting with me, and congratulations on the film, on, on your world premiere here at Heartland, and also just, you know, best of luck in, on the festival circuit and in the future. I'm really looking forward to following your guys' career, and hopefully sometime we get to chat again. Thanks so much. Yeah, we'll be <laughs> yeah. back for sure. Perfect. Yeah, we, yeah, our next film, this is definitely a stop, I hope. Awesome. All awesome. Right. Well, Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you guys again, and have a great rest of the festival. Thank you. Off here. All right. So Three, two, one, zero. Is it working? You got yeah. a signal? Yep, we're you good. Need, we're good. <laughs> so you get a stereo file out of this, right? And you just got left, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, basically, it's yeah stereo, and then I left, right, and then I switch it to mono and nice. do the, yep. all that. Yeah. And it's in there. It's the whole process. Yep. But sound quality is great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm here with Stephen Edwards, director of Syd- uh, Syndrome K, yep. uh, which is a featured documentary. Featured doc. Here at Heartland, having its world premiere at Heartland. Yep. Uh, how did the world premiere go? And tell us about the documentary. So it was great. It's great to be at Heartland. Nice. And and uh, we have Hoosiers involved in the film. Which it is made an Indiana it, spotlight. And so that it was extra special to have nice. it start its life off here. They basically uh, took us in the festival with a rough cut. Like, oh, interesting. An, like it was not close to being finished. Like, wow. for example, our, our narrator's Ray Liotta. And oh, we had wow. temp narration in there. So huh. Ray brings a whole gravitas to the mm-hmm. film. Um, and you know the music wasn't done, and I wrote the music, so oh, I know wow. like and the, it yeah. was tent music, and it was all over the place, and it was just oh, like wow. you know, when you have the score in there and it's done correctly, it just plays like a different movie. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, oh, yeah. So wow. really special to you know premiere it, mm-hmm. you know, to a local. I'm from Michigan, so my family oh, nice. drove down. Oh, that's fantastic! So I had my nice. two brothers and my sister and their spouses, and a couple oh. nieces here and a couple mm-hmm. cousins. So it was really oh, that's huge. Yeah. that's awesome. And I'm from LA, so nice. You know, it was and I, my my girlfriend came, mm-hmm. so you know, it was like a, it was very a family cool, affair. sweet. And so the documentary it deals with a very interesting story. I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but it is. Tell us about the story that it, that it's. It's a story. On. It's called Syndrome K. It's a story of three doctors in a Catholic hospital during the Nazi occupation of Rome that made up a fake disease that saved the Roman. Jews from being deported to Auschwitz. It's a true story. Wow. And that is so, so incredible. And like, the, I've, I've kind of been uh, thinking about just, you know, the history of, of like, you know, the, the Nazis and everything and how it's like, I, I read, um, oh, I can't remember, the, the massive tome that uh, the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich mm-hmm. a year or two ago. Yeah. And like, just, it's, it's, Incredible to me that it's seventy-five, uh, going to be uh, 70, 70 years. I think seventy-five years. Seventy-five ago. years. Yeah, yeah, seventy-five years ago. Yeah. I can't do math. Um, right. <laughs> seventy-five years ago, and like the fear that you know, I think is like this is so, like a horrific thing. That's you know, with enough time, it just becomes history, and like just people like people like you making documentaries and, and kind of cataloging everything and, and really keeping it at the forefront of people's minds because it's it's the worst thing like that's uh, that i can fathom and yep. it's just it's it's incredible and like to tell a story like this where you know people were saved because of of doctors that were that were working to save them is just is incredible yeah. um 
So having said all that, like, how did the production go, and how like how did you kind of attach yourself to the project? How did it come yeah, about? It's kind of an amazing story. So nice. I was just I was procrastinating one day and not work because I work as a composer. That's my day job. I oh, write nice. music for other people. Very cool. And I was procrastinating, not doing my job. Sure. On Facebook, trolling around, and a friend of mine shared this story. There was like a little clip about it mm-hmm. on some European website. I was like, wow, this is the coolest story I've ever seen. Now, I also happen to be a citizen of Italy. Oh, wow. My mother was Sicilian. Nice. And I also happen to have made one documentary already that was shot in Vatican City, just completely coincidentally, unrelated oh, wow. to this story. Okay. And so I saw it and I said, this is the coolest story I've ever seen. I want to see this documentary. So I started mm-hmm. trolling around, looking on streaming yeah. sites, looking on Amazon, like, I want to find this film. I'm going to go, I'm going to see this film. There was nothing Wow. There. Nothing. I mean, I couldn't even find an interview wow. with two of the three doctors. There was no film at all. Mm-hmm. One of them had a short little clip. Wow. And so I looked in, and one of the doctors, Dr. Ozzuccini, was still alive and living in Rome. Oh, wow. So I moved quickly. Mm-hmm. So this was March of 18, but mm-hmm. I found the story. So here we are in October of 19 with a finished film. So you wow. can imagine how fast this went. Through. Oh, absolutely. We literally finished this film three weeks ago. Wow. The, that the, is incredible. The film is still wet, right? <clears throat> yeah. Literally. Right. So March of 18, I found out about it, and uh, I booked the next flight to Rome and mm-hmm. found a Roman Jewish journalist who knows Ozzuccini and knew mm-hmm. a couple of Jewish survivors. Wow. And Ozzuccini is 98 years old. Wow. So we flew over, got a mm-hmm. camera crew, went to his house, sat him down, interviewed mm-hmm. him. He told his whole story. And we got the two and the two Jewish survivors who whose last name were coincidentally is both Cindy. No, I think they're distant cousins, but okay. they were kids when it went down. Wow! And uh, got their story, and then we uh, show a foundation, Steven Spielberg's mm-hmm. um, foundation that he created out of Schindler's List, where there's right. fifty five thousand testimonies of wow. Holocaust survivors, Rwanda, mm-hmm. but also a lot of European, you know, Holocaust yeah. survivors. Um, just it's an unbelievable database and it's based at usc mm-hmm. which is where i live oh in Los nice Angeles. so we found dr sacerdoti's interview mm-hmm. which was absolutely 100 percent key to making our film i mean wow. he said stuff that no one else would say mm-hmm. plus he was a jew mm-hmm. that was practicing at a catholic hospital under a fake identity oh wow he changed his name and everything so he was saving members of mm-hmm. his own family wow. right under the nazis noses and nobody ever knew about it wow that is the that intrigue is incredible. is incredible. Oh, yeah. absolutely. It's just like, how do these people do it? Mm-hmm. And the, just the abject bravery mm-hmm. in the face. You know, they've got, oh, they're yeah. armed with, you know, stethoscopes and mm-hmm. medical charts. Yeah. And the SS is the SS. And yeah. They would have it, killed everybody in the hospital and killed all the doctors. And, oh, absolutely. And they would have killed all the Jews for sure. Yeah. In a just second. The bravery and just the, the, the uh, for lack of a better word, the balls to do is, oh, is incredible. Um, yeah, that's what Dr. Yeah. Osacini said. He said, you know, oh, yeah. you had to be brave. You can't pee in your pants. We have that as nice. a direct quote. I mean, he's right. And he was yeah, beaten by the absolutely. Gestapo, by the way. Wow. He had his butt cool. kicked wow. and had to, you know, kind of withstand them and hated them. Right. They all hated the Nazis. So yeah. Syndrome K is named after uh, Herbert Kapler, who was the head of the SS in Rome, and uh, Albert Kesselring, who was the general that Hitler sent to take over Rome. Oh, wow. So it was like a huh. flip you off. Nice. They named it after the two guys that were their oppressors. Oh, that That's is so Italian. That is, yeah, that so is so Italian. cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so in making the documentary, since it's such a relatively quick turnaround time and everything, um, did you did you have like an, a clear idea of how you wanted to tell the story or did like yes. anything come up? And, I did. I okay, did. great. Almost immediately, mm-hmm. um, there was two things that, that, were, that I, I just kind of figured it out as I read. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. what would I want to see? Yeah. First of all, I wanted to see someone else's film. It didn't exist. Right. So now I'm thinking, how would I make the film, mm-hmm. right? So 
the first thing was the uh, the Allies mm-hmm. basically decided they 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 booted the Nazis out of North Africa. Mm-hmm. Then they went across and they took booted the Nazis out of Sicily. Then they jumped across the Channel and worked in the lower part of the boot of Italy and worked their way north to Rome. Mm-hmm. The uh, Churchill called it the soft underbelly of. Italy, which is, okay. trust me, there was nothing soft and nothing yeah. underbelly about it. Mm-hmm. So by the time, there was a there was a nine-month span from the point they landed in Salerno until they liberated Rome in June of 44. Oh, wow. All right. So R- Rome was liberated in June 4th, 1944. Two mm-hmm. days later was D-Day. Mm-hmm. So it was not a good week for the Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but, you know, that was a very, very, very difficult battle. I mean, wow. there, there was 90,000 Allied casualties. Jeez. And people don't even know about it. Oh, yeah. That's, man, that is, when you think about, like, just, you know, World War II and just, like, the sheer scale of it, like, oh, it's, it's unreal, like, and that's, that's kind of the... We'll put it this way, Auschwitz, mm-hmm. they were killing 14,000 people a day. Yeah. For, that, like, three years? Yeah. It's, the scale uh, of it is, yeah. it's, like, it, if I, if I sat around and thought about that, I would have mm-hmm. crawled in a hole and been depressed. Oh, I was oh, more totally. interested in the... The human bravery mm-hmm. and the, the condition of people being great to other absolutely. people and saving them because that's the right thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It's oh, a movie yeah. about bravery. Really, mm-hmm. that's what it is. And just having yeah. los cojones, the balls, like you said. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. That's really what it is. Nice. Catholic or Jewish, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So were there any challenges with, with creating the documentary? Yes, or? absolutely. Nice. So the challenge, I mean, there's so many challenges. I could mm-hmm. sit here for three hours and tell you. But sure. There's, there's, we have survivor accounts but we had to recreate a lot of things because there's no like there's no film of the Nazis coming into the hospital and trying to take the Jews out right so Mm -hmm. some of that we recreated okay um, but we told the backstory. we have really good interviews and they told stories and we even animated one sequence where they talk about um, Nazi trucks going to the hospital and one of them gets lost blah blah Mm -hmm. blah there's all this stuff that happens sure so um, we have a lot of archival footage in the the movie that we got from Pathé in in Mm the United Kingdom from Luce which is an archive in Rome and the U.S. government has quite a serious archive. Um, we, the nice. U.S. government had color film of the U.S. liberation of Rome in June oh. 4th, 44. Oh, wow. They had guys filming. Wow. So we've that got is incredible. color film of it. It's amazing. Wow. That astonishing. Is, that's incredible. Yeah. And, and then like, we found some of the most amazing archival stuff. We have oh, yeah. film of Hitler and Mussolini touring Rome together. Oh, wow. Like, they were Jeez. buddies. You know, I have film of Mussolini giving a speech in perfect fluent German. Oh, Wow. So, like, wow. I didn't know Mussolini spoke German. Yeah. That explains a lot. Like, those two get together and they're drinking schnapps, deciding right. how they're going to just basically destroy the world. Yeah. That's oh, what they, I'm geez. sure that's what they did. And oh, I'm sure absolutely. they spoke in German to each other. Mm-hmm. So, that is, that's incredible. I had no idea Mussolini yeah. spoke. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, uh, it had its world premiere here at, mm-hmm. or, uh, here at Heartland. Yeah. Um, how was, how's the experience of, of you know, bringing out the finished product and and how's do you have anything lined up for uh for the future for for next stops in the festival that's a circuit? really good question because i don't basically <laughs> okay we are literally going by the seat of our pants nice. uh, well yeah you just finished and it. i'm working as a musician like i'm working mm-hmm. on another show for warner brothers right now oh, wow. i'm working on music for other things so mm-hmm. i'm like one arm i'm a one arm wallpaper hanger which is my what my old piano teacher used to say oh, nice. i do a lot of things at the same time mm-hmm. which is great but um we, we got into this festival. We world premiered mm-hmm. here. Um, mm-hmm. We have a lot of Hoosiers involved in the mm-hmm. movie, which is great. 
Um, we don't even know what we're doing next. Oh, we've wow. got, we had one invitation from a, from a Jewish film festival in the States that okay. want us to screen. So that's the only thing we've done. We've applied to six or seven others. Mm-hmm. There's some people here that are pretty savvy in the festival world, which I yeah. am definitely not. Oh, sure. And so they said, oh, <laughs> send it to this one. Send it to that one. Nice. This one's great. Um, you know, there's 3,000 film festivals in the oh, States. yeah. Every, every city has one, and, mm-hmm. and some of them don't matter. Oh, yeah. And some of them do. Mm-hmm. And Heartland has is is become a really big one. So oh, we're absolutely. Really, we're really honored to be nice. have a world premiere here. Like, I had family here because oh, I yeah. grew up in Michigan, so my family mm-hmm. drove down. And Greg, our picture editor, mm-hmm. he has a, he's from Indy. Our writer, nice. Greg Ballard, is from Indy. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of local. We had a lot of locals that came. And, and, Very cool. You know, so it was kind of a homecoming in a way. That is I'm awesome. I'm a Midwest kid. Nice. So, and that's, that's a great place to, to have a world yeah. premiere, too. Just that's It's really great. And yeah. I've heard... I've been covering Heartland for like four years now, oh, and it's great. just, it's, uh, everyone speaks highly of it and everything. How's your experience been? It's been great. I nice. mean, the sta- I mean, from the transportation <clears throat> to the logistics to, um, you know, just making us feel like we're, you know, we're important to them. And mm-hmm. I'm a, you know, it's, it's a two way street. So, yeah. um, this, you know, just the service and the way the volunteers are and the organization has been mm-hmm. first, first class. I mean, we showed up at the premiere. I'll just tell you a little story. Sure. Um, I had so we have a it's a Kickstarter movie. Our, our film okay. is funded by Kickstarter. So twelve people bought these special VIP passes. So okay. we had to buy them twelve seats, and then they uh-huh. get like they get a copy of the movie, and it's mm-hmm. like a whole thing where they they pledged money to finish our film. Nice. So we're thanking them back, right? Right. So I bought twelve tickets, mm-hmm. and then our writer showed up with his parents and his girlfriend's parents with no seats. And there's a line out the door. Oh in the back. wow! And. Um, <laughs> So it, all, it we could laugh about that because everybody got in. It all worked out, nice. but we, they did turn some people away, and they oh, actually wow. they actually planned a third screening because there was so much demand. Oh, so that's amazing! This is our third screening today. That is fantastic. Yeah. So it's great. That is awesome. So the response has been really good, really positive. I Very mean, it's a story cool. that needs to be told. Oh, absolutely! You know? Like like I said, it's just it's something that we're coming up on on the seventieth. Uh, 75th. 75th. Wow. So June Again, 4th massive. of this year was the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Rome. Jeez. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. There's still and people it's, around. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing that you can get, you can get this, this kind of content from people that are, like you said, still around. And it's yeah. just like this is – because if, if the story's not told and not told properly yeah. and not – everything, it just gets lost in history. And, and you know, the other thing that really drove me and really inspired mm-hmm. me was – and I'm sure you saw this on Yahoo and all the, web, the news mm-hmm. sites. It was like six months ago. It was really – Prevalent is that American kids don't know about the Holocaust. Oh, they don't yeah. know what Auschwitz was. It's like, come on. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. If I can forward that, and I can, even though we don't, we don't show ovens. We don't show. Right. I mean, we show a little bit of it, but mm-hmm. we're we're not a you know atrocity movie. Right. We're more a movie about bravery and all that good stuff. Huh. So. Can I send you in the corner, really yeah. quick? Are you guys wrapping up? Yeah, we're wrapping oh, yeah, up. Oh yeah, we're wrapping up. Yeah. Oh, you're fine. Yeah. So anyway, um, that inspired me. Just if we can, if we can get the word out. Yeah. It's a beautiful. Just getting the word out. And final uh, thing: is there a social media presence? Website? Yeah, syndromek.com, mm-hmm. and we have a syndromek Facebook page, and then we've been way too organized to do anything else so far. So oh, nice. We're gonna when we get back and decompress from this festival, we'll do more. So. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much right. for chatting with me. It's been a nice pleasure, and uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing your work and everything. I hope so. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again. Right, thank you. Going to be using the recording, or are you just using this? Well, I'll be using the recording. Okay. It's going to be on a podcast. A podcast. Okay. Yeah. And you're going to edit it, or um, or not? Probably not. Maybe. Okay. We'll so see. don't <laughs> f it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's nothing to be worried about or anything. So yeah. All right. Well, I'm here with Taria from Moonlight Sonata, Deafness and Three Movements. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell me about the tell me about the film and uh, your experience with Heartland so far? 
Sure. The film Moonlight Sonata, Deafness in Three Movements, is a documentary feature. It's here in competition at Hotland. And the film is a family drama about a young deaf boy growing up and learning to play a song that Beethoven wrote when he was going deaf, the Moonlight Sonata. Mm-hmm. And it's also about his deaf grandfather in the twilight of his life oh, and growing wow. old. And so we explore loss, love, aging, and the creative process. Wow, that sounds incredible. Like That sounds like a, a really great film to have, especially here at Heartland, because that's kind of, Heartland's kind of all about those kind of like emotionally charged stories that are emotionally significant and everything. So, um, yeah, can you tell me about about the making yeah. of the film and how it came about and everything? Yeah. Well, the film was actually uh, really born out of uh, Jonas, the protagonist. So mm-hmm. he he's an 11-year-old boy. He's the director's son. Mm-hmm. And he decided he wanted to play the Moonlight Sonata. And so he, he ordered the sheet music online and started mm-hmm. learning it. And Irene thought she would start to get to know the piece and mm-hmm. and soon discovered this beautiful backstory that was that Beethoven wrote it while he was going deaf. Mm-hmm. And so she discovered that there was just this beautiful poetic co- coincidence that sure. just had to be put on camera. And so we started filming Jonas first, but then as we filmed we discovered her father was undergoing this big change in his life mm-hmm. and grappling with his mind. And so we st- we organically started filming that and then discovered that there might be an analogy here with what Beethoven Mm -hmm. might have gone through when he went deaf and losing his most prized possession. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the film was a really organic process um, and and a lot of it came together in the edit. Oh, I'm I'm sure. Especially, uh, it's a documentary feature and with... I'm always fascinated by just the... that genre, essentially. It's just like, the filmmaking that it what it takes to, to make that is just so like organic it kind of comes out in such a unique way so were there any kind of like surprises that you guys had along the way and also what was your role within the film as well <laughs> yeah so Irene and I made the film together I was the producer I also run field sound I shot some of the film and I was the assistant editor wow. so you know we were a really small team you mm-hmm. know Irene in addition to being the director was a producer she's a cinematographer we worked with a DP who came for certain uh, certain shoots and mm-hmm. then we had an editor Bill Weber who's a great editor who really brought you know beautiful empathy and tenderness to the to the film um, what was your question? Oh, uh, were there any surprises along the Those way that kind of shifted the, the sure how, sure yeah. sure <laughs> you know I think the big surprise was the role that Irene's father Paul would play mm-hmm. in the film we were not expecting him to play as big a role as he does and he really is you know part of this triad of, of protagonists now mm-hmm. um, I think Paul's experience as a deaf person growing up in the 20th century was just mm-hmm. so markedly different from Jonas's in the 21st century and so that was really fascinating to us but his own loss was also became a very poignant prominent Mm -hmm. part of the film oh wow well that is that sounds incredible like there's it sounds like there's a lot just a lot going on with this and it's something Mm. that you know people may not just really be aware of like the struggles of 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 being like having deafness in your family or or being deaf yourself like that's a really interesting kind of perspective to present to an audience. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't really have a question to that. But yeah, well, you know, but to to that point, I think the film. I think you're right. The film is a real mosaic of yeah. family life, and I think the beauty of the film is in those little moments that we mm-hmm. captured, that we've captured over the course of our filming, but also the course of the 80 years of home movies, movies oh, that wow. we, you know, we meticulously went through, and I think connecting those dots into yeah. this story is really I think the beauty of the film it's not so much in a in one landmark event happening in the film right. or anything it's just in in the in the constellation of these beautiful little moments that is that's fantastic that is like the kind of that, that type of approach and that that type of narrative in a documentary is something that I really appeals to me just like that kind of tenderness the emotional Mm -hmm. core of of the protagonist and uh, as opposed to like being like oh like we're learning this and we're gonna do this and everything it's just more just open and and, uh, honest really yeah Um, well I think that that vulnerability and that honesty is what we're finding audiences are really relating to you know uh, people want to see that on the Mm -hmm. screen and we don't we don't a lot you know so people are really that's really something people are resonating with that's very good Um, so it's it's been here at Heartland how's the experience been how's the uh, screening how have the screening been if you have you guys haven't well i actually arrived uh at 1 a.m last oh, night wow. so <laughs> we have right. our first screening this afternoon oh, nice. uh, we have a screening tomorrow and also on sunday so oh, you know i'm really excited to have our first screening and oh, talk to the audience and nice. i'll let you know after <laughs> awesome and uh have you had any experience with heartland before or how's the festival run been as well yeah this is my first time at heartland but irene's sort of spiritual prequel about her parents played here oh, in uh 2007 or eight okay. so about 10 or 12 years ago wow. um, uh, but our festival run has been fabulous you know nice. we, we premiered at Sundance in January and oh, have wow. and since then been playing festivals around the country and mm-hmm. in Canada and you know we've always been trying to attend every festival mm-hmm. also we've been uh, we closed captioned and open captioned mm-hmm. the film so we've been able to play the film as an accessible fil- uh, screening mm-hmm. at all of the festivals and I think that's been wow. big for us as well is yeah. bringing the film to deaf and blind audiences mm-hmm. and also just being able to really interact one on one with our audience and you know hear what there is hear what's hear, hear, hear their feedback you know oh, that's absolutely. huge as a filmmaker nice yeah. Um, do you have any stops lined up next after Heartland? Actually, Irene is currently at in Rochester. Oh, wow. uh, then we play in Montclair next week. Uh, we're going to be playing in L.A. next week. Uh, Milwaukee the wow. following week. So, yeah, we've got a busy wow. got fall a ahead schedule. of us. Um, we're also, we, we just released the film theatrically. So oh, it's playing at cities uh, nationally right now. Um, and then we'll be broadcasting on HBO in December. Oh, that is, that's great. Wow. Yeah. That is... That is a hugely successful like run. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah, that it's keeping amazing. us very busy. That's oh, for sure. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, do you have like social media or like a website for the film? That yeah, can yeah. We're we're to? primarily on Facebook at okay. at Moonlight Sonata Doc. Perfect. Um, you can also find us on Instagram and then at www.moonlightsonata.com. Perfect. That's great. And uh, yeah, I don't really have anything. <laughs> Awesome. It was really great talking to you. Great talking to you, too. Thank you so much for chatting with me. And, again, congratulations on just the film and the success and uh, everything you you guys are sure to have in the future as well. (laughs) Thanks so much. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thank you.
All right. So I'm here with Jennifer McShane, uh, the director of Ernie and Joe, which is here at Heartland. It is a documentary feature uh, finalist, right, in competition. Yeah. Um, uh, so, okay, so I haven't had a chance to see Ernie and Joe yet. I actually... You can come tonight at 8. <laughs> uh, tonight at 8. I, I, uh, I think I may actually... Yeah, I'm, I might. But uh, I, I'm trying to think of it because my schedule's all crazy. Um, but I'm very excited to see it because it's it sounds like a really interesting documentary. It's about um, two uh, Texas police officers who are working to change the way that they respond to mental health calls am i correct yes okay yeah perfect yeah they're part of a they're part of a mental health unit a team of about 15 officers now uh, who are dedicated to diverting people from instead of arresting them Mm -hmm. you know pointing them in the direction of proper treatment and it's had a huge impact in San Antonio in terms of how they're dealing with that population Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's just a great inspiration for lots of other communities Mm because most uh, cities and towns, even rural areas, yeah. um, are all dealing with the same issue. Mental health mm-hmm. is a huge uh, oh, uh, issue absolutely. in our country, and how we deal with it. You know, I think making sure that uh, law enforcement, when they arrive on the scene, because you know, nine times out of ten, they're the first responder because mm-hmm. that's who people call. Right. So they need to really understand what they're what they're viewing, what they see, what's in yeah. front of them, and if it's somebody in crisis, how do you? How do you de-escalate yeah. and make things better? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That That's why it's, it sounds like such an interesting kind of a, a take and, or an interesting kind of story to, to tell. It's shine a light on, really. Oh, it was amazing, too. And they, I had amazing access, which I'm very oh, grateful wow. for. They were just terrific. I filmed for two and a half, almost three years. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, not every day, obviously, sure. but I came back periodically. But they were very open to mm-hmm. um, allowing me to follow them everywhere, including their personal lives. Oh, that's and fantastic. And it was great. And they're just, I was very blessed to mm-hmm. um, have such characters they're really wow. funny and very open and it was yes. great they it's the best thing is when you have two good characters to tell mm. a complicated story oh and, absolutely and i got lucky <laughs> yeah and giving you such access to it is is really remarkable especially i mean like in terms of like it's it's law enforcement like you would think you would be a little bit more restrictive um in terms of access and everything no i know and i was um my last film was um filmed in a maximum security prison oh in New wow York. yeah for uh and i filmed inside and outside of the prison for about four years wow. and that was very tough access mm-hmm. um so i and i was expecting something similar with the police department but mm-hmm. they really were terrific i have to say nice. i think they're very proud of the work they're doing oh absolutely and so they feel really good about it which makes it easier to mm-hmm. Um, you know, share it and be yeah. happy about it. So it was a good experience. Oh, absolutely. That's that's great. So, um, so you shot for about three years. Yeah. Uh, how did you? How did I like to ask this of, of documentary filmmakers specifically because that it's a genre that is so fascinating to me because it is so open in terms of just like how you present everything because. Yeah. Uh, how did like how did the narrative of it come about in the editing and that like how did you shape it how did all that go yeah that is a great question because um, since there wasn't kind of a um, natural mm-hmm. kind of beginning middle and end because we're just following them sure. you know it's a very immersive I wanted it to be immersive I wanted it to feel like a ride um, just you were on a ride along with them basically for an hour nice. and a half um, so it's very intimate it's ver- a lot of verite not a lot of interviews 
it's mainly just being with them. And I had an amazing editor, mm-hmm. Toby Shimon, who um, worked with me to take 300 hours of footage mm-hmm. and turn it into um, kind of a really coherent 90, sure. 95 minutes. <laughs> um, and basically, you know, we tried to focus as much uh, on the characters of the two officers mm-hmm. and kind of tell this story through their eyes. Yes. Um, and then there's a few people in crisis who we follow uh, wow. throughout. Um, so it was, um, yeah, no, it took a, it was, it was a, we had so much good footage, it, it was a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel very happy with how it ended up. And um, cool. yeah, the, whole, the director editor collaboration is so important in, the, in this, in oh, this world. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, and uh, just real quick, because I'm, I'm afraid I'll forget about it. What was the name of the Maximum Security documentary you did? Oh, the, uh, my last film was called Mothers of Bedford. Mothers of and Bedford. And I followed five women who were mothers in a max um, and, and kind of how they deal with parenting and mothering. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that actually, that project is really what was kind of the impetus for this project. Very cool. Because I felt that it was very sad and alarming how many people behind bars are, are, are dealing with some kind of mental health yeah. challenge oh, or absolutely. untreated mental illness. Mm-hmm. So when I found out about the work happening in San mm-hmm. Antonio, it really spoke to me specifically because I had made this mm-hmm. last film. Nice. So it kind of dovetails it. So. Absolutely. And yeah. how did you come about, uh, like, how did you catch wind of this story and how did you come about, like, starting the, the whole process? Well, I had an f- actual mutual friend had written an article um, on what was happening in San Antonio and how they were dealing with mental health in a different way. And the uh, SAPD, the police department and the mental health unit was featured in that article. And I thought, oh, this sounds amazing. And someone actually sent me the article thinking it would be of interest to me based Mm -hmm. on my last film. And I thought, this is wonderful. I wrote back to the woman who wrote it and said... um, Bravo! Great work. This is a beautiful nice. story. We need more of it. And she said, oh, do you, "Would you want to meet? Would you want to be introduced?" And I said, "I'd love to." So that led to me going out to spend some time mm-hmm. with the mental health unit, and I I kind of went out and visited for about a week without a camera, mm-hmm. and I was convinced within a day or two nice. that this was a really important story, and these particular officers would be a great vehicle to mm-hmm. tell the story. So great. yeah, that's that how it, awesome. that's how it happened, and now we're nice. we're doing the film. Festival Circuit. Yeah. yeah. How's that been so far? Wonderful. Absolutely nice. great. Audiences are really engaged and mm-hmm. responsive. Um, everybody is dealing, like I said, dealing with this either with family members or mm-hmm. friends or, or their relationships with law enforcement. Like there's a lot of ways in for people mm-hmm. in terms of uh, how to connect with the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really excited. We, I, uh, there are two more screenings of Ernie and Joe here in Indianapolis and I'm, I'm really looking forward to meeting the audiences. Nice. And so that uh, the next two screenings are, there's one tonight Tonight then, at 8 p.m. Okay. And then tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm not sure. I can't remember the time tomorrow. Sorry. Sure. I think it's I think it's around 5. But I know okay. tomorrow on Saturday, it's at Castleton. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do like a frame recording, so I'll make sure to mention awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, how's the experience been with Heartland? How have the screenings gone and everything? Oh, terrific. I mean, unfortunately, I've been we've had so many festivals this month that oh, I yeah. just arrived last night. Oh, okay. So I haven't... <laughs> I'll be at the last two. Nice. Um, but everyone has been so friendly and wonderful. Nice. I, I can't say enough about the festival. That's great. Really and terrific. There was someone at the airport, to, a volunteer nice. to help get me settled. Mm-hmm. It was really terrific. Yeah, they're, uh, from everything I've heard, they're they really great at 
at just you know providing for the for the filmmakers and, no, and yeah. everything. No, it's wonderful, um, really great. Great, nice. And have you had any experience with Heartland before? No, this okay. is my first time, great. so I'm delighted because I've heard great things about yes. it from other filmmakers, and mm. uh, your programmers are terrific. So mm. I, I'm really pleased to be, and I'm very honored to be in the finalists category. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's huge because there's oh, a yeah. lot of films here, so I'm I'm very thrilled to be in that category. Yeah, and yeah. I like I was I was saying before to to another filmmaker like this I've been covering Heartland for about four years now uh, total and it like they always have a really great selection but like this year I've, I've noticed like it's just knocking it out of the park every everything is just so so good and uh and yeah, that's that's just it's incredible. Um, it's impressive, so, impressive. Oh, absolutely. So, um, so yeah. So, uh, how about like social media, website, and everything? Uh, yep, Ernie and Joe, the, Ernie and Joe, the film uh, on Facebook. We're on Instagram, on Twitter. So please get on, like nice. us, tell your friends about it, come out and find out more. We're very excited to to meet our audience. Perfect and. Uh, do you have any like stops lined up for for? Yeah, we'll be up? yeah we'll be at um, Hot Springs, Arkansas next after this, and then we're going to be at uh, in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. Naples, Florida, mm-hmm. Virginia, wow. Doc NYC in New York. <laughs> so it's it's kind of the train keeps going, and it's all Great. good. It's all good. That's awesome, and it's it's an important subject to cover. Uh, like you said, mental health and mental illness is is so important, and it's something that is so like if if people don't have that like in in their family or in their life or anything like it's easy to just kind of like turn a blind eye exactly and and, like i come from a police family as well so like that law enforcement angle is it's so it's so interesting because i mean like there there's such a uh, uh a vibe in 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 culture that like you know, there's. I mean, I've seen videos of like police that don't handle mental health calls right. uh, correctly, and it's something that it, I like. And and it's unfair. Yeah. And it's unfair to the officer too. If you're not, if we're not training them to yeah. deal with it properly. Oh yeah. Then it's hard to kind of expect a good outcome. So the, oh, I, I think absolutely. a lot of this goes back to training, how we train mm-hmm. officers, and also something that the film touches on that was not what I had planned when I first started making the film, but it deals with um, the officer's own mental health. Oh, wow. And because, you know, most people don't know that um, police officers are more likely to die at their own hand Mm -hmm. than in the line of duty. Yeah. The suicide trend for uh, law enforcement is through the roof. It's Mm -hmm. really kind of scary. Yeah. Um, And so we do talk about that in the film, which I think for officers who are in the audience are like, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. we need to... We need to think about our own well-being, our own oh, mental, absolutely. especially in the job they have. Yeah, they need to be mentally kind of feeling their best. Oh yeah, like, yeah. like I said, I come from a police family, and like my my brother is a police officer. My dad was a retired police officer, um, and like it, it, my mom worked in dispatch and everything. Like, oh, wow, yeah. Wow. Oh, tell them all to come see Ernie and Joe. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and uh, also, one of my co-hosts is uh, is a police officer as well. Wow. wow. Um, but just like I like. So like growing up, like you know, my family would be like, "Why don't you be? Why don't you be a cop?" And I'm like, "I don't have the capability. Like that, I'm just not right. Like that mentally, I can't do. Like that's a job I cannot fathom doing. Right, right. No, it does so, take a certain um, oh, personality. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. And it's it's something that's so uh, there, there's it's I don't know. It's easy. I don't want to say the wrong thing, but like it's easy to kind of like armchair like spectate like 
police behavior and everything. And, like, you know, there are some cases where there, I mean, clearly there is something that is that should not have been done and everything but sometimes it's like you're only seeing like only hearing about a very small part of even a just a call like it could like there are so many other extenuating circumstances and stuff and like it's it's so hard for people to kind of put themselves into that position yeah i think um you know whenever the behavior is you know wrong it Mm -hmm. needs to be called out and needs to be accountable i said but i also think when they're doing it when officers are doing it correctly like in the Mm -hmm. case of the mental health unit you know we also need to highlight that and show it as a good example I 100% agree because there is, it's, yeah, just with with everything, like any type of, um, any type of uh, progress with, with just how law enforcement handles calls like that, that are by definition incredibly delicate and, and volatile at times as well. Like it's just something that needs to be highlighted and, and uh, yeah, I guess thank you for doing that and, and creating this film. Thank you. I'm yeah. so happy to be here. Nice. Well, I can't wait to check it out. I'm going to try to see it tonight or tomorrow. Um, I actually don't think I can see it tonight, but I'll, I'll try to see it tomorrow. Okay. Uh, but yeah, congratulations on such what I'm sure is an exhausting festival run. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it's great, yeah. though. It's terrific oh, to absolutely. see people's reactions in person. Nice. And uh, there's always amazing questions, and mm-hmm. people share. It's great. Perfect. So I'm excited. Thank great. you yeah, for having absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yeah, congratulations Super. again on being a finalist as well. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Bye bye. All right. Okay, so I'm here with Ashton Gleckman, right? Yes. Uh, filmmaker. I uh, talked to him on the red carpet. Uh, you heard it in the previous episode. Um, yeah, you're here for... Uh, oh, wow. Uh, we we shall, shall Not, not die, die Now. now uh, which is a documentary that I... So I'm going to disclose this. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble at work or anything, but mm-hmm. in my day job, I... Uh, like, I... I I'm fortunate enough that Harlan gave me some screeners. So I actually mm-hmm. watched your film today oh, wow. on my phone at work. But yeah. <laughs> Um, but man, it's uh, just go ahead and tell us about the film again. Sure. And then I'll gush over it. So the film chronicles <laughs> the Holocaust, and it's told by the survivors, liberators, um, the scholars who study the Holocaust. And we went around the world and actually filmed at all of the concentration camps in Poland. Yeah. And we spoke to over twenty-five um, different witnesses. Um, of the Holocaust. And so it was an incredible experience just getting the chance to actually go to the ground zero of where these yeah. things happened. And um, specifically, you know, Auschwitz in Poland. And um, I think specifically because it's the 75th anniversary next year, um, it only happened 75 years ago. And it feels as though that's a long time ago, but it really was yesterday. Oh, absolutely. So, and I was talking to the filmmaker of Sin- Sin- yeah. Syndrome K. And like, yeah. with it being 75 years, like that, there's. Yeah. This fear that I have that it's mm. going to be lost to history, right. and just like these are stories that need to be yeah. told, and yeah. and uh, like uh, like watching the documentary, I was like, I, I can't yeah. believe. Like there are interviews with people that were there, mm. and it's just it's really right. incredible. And I think the thing was with our film, a lot of the people we were interviewing are seventy five mm-hmm. up to like. 100 years old. Yep. So specifically a lot of the survivors who were in their teen years mm-hmm. during the Holocaust are now in their 90s. Yeah. So in around 10 to 15, 20 years, we won't have any survivors to actually talk to, yep. you know, see with our own eyes. Mm-hmm. So it's super important that while they're here and while we have mm-hmm. that opportunity to listen exactly. and to learn and especially next year mm-hmm. um, where all of these anniversary events are going to start happening, especially yeah. the liberation of Auschwitz in January, mm-hmm. um, to use that opportunity to sort of reflect and learn from those messages that the survivors mm-hmm. share. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. So when we previously talked, you talked about how you went uh, kind of just a almost like one person yeah. crew. <laughs> like yeah. Just went to all these locations yeah. and everything. Uh, first of all, just the the shots that you got were just yeah. beautiful. Oh, thanks. Um, and I really liked there. There's this. Um, you you made the choice to do black and white, right? Which I thought was very uh, very like connective mm-hmm. with like the archival footage that you had yeah. and, and everything. Um, can you uh-huh. speak to kind of what your inspiration was for right. that and how? It came yeah. Out? So when I started the film, so the actual footage that's in that film that's in mm-hmm. black and white is all the footage that I filmed nice. in Poland, all the interviews, and then we actually went into the archives and actually mm-hmm. went through over a hundred hours of footage from this 1970s documentary called Shoah, mm-hmm. um, and all of that footage was outtakes that w- w- didn't end up in the final film. Oh, wow. So all of that footage that you see that's in color, we left in mm-hmm. its original state, um, and that was actually filmed by the incredible Claude Lanzmann in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So we combined those two elements together, and I think the thing was about the black and white is it really just did mm-hmm. meld into... Um, the the archival footage, which I think black and white, it just has that certain, it's deprived of color. So you really, you really get a very visceral response to it because it really relates to the images that we imagine of the Holocaust. Oh, absolutely. And like, there's some, the archival footage, like it's, it's appropriately, appropriately. So it's haunting. It is just like, it's not, you don't shy away from like showing just what an atrocity it was uh-huh. and like that's something I, I really respect yeah. because it's something just it's so intense but it needs mm-hmm. to be seen and one of the things we made the decision of is we weren't going to really show all of that very extreme footage mm-hmm. until the end of the film because realized that the holocaust was occurring over the span of around six years mm-hmm. and it was only when the liberators you know the US yeah. English liberators came into the camps and actually saw the result of all this stuff yep. that's really the first time that people were seeing with their own eyes what mm-hmm. really happened they'd heard about it they knew it was they knew it was happening mm-hmm. but in terms of actually seeing it so we wanted to do the same thing for the audience nice. we wanted them to sort of instinctively mm-hmm. put the puzzle pieces together and then at the end of the film show them what those liberators and what the people were seeing for the first time which nice. is is an unimaginable horror that mm-hmm. many of the people that we spoke to who were liberators yeah. who are again in their top 90s right now mm-hmm. one was 97 um, it's, a, it's a memory that still stays with them um, and the certain specifics of it are sort of difficult to imagine that just the, the, yeah. the smell of the, the charred flesh and yeah. the the bodies which were stacked like hardwood many mm-hmm. of them described um, but it, it's super important as difficult it is, as it is to remember mm-hmm. it's super important for us as a as humanity now to re- yeah. to really ingrain that within oh you know absolutely and just the um, I, I really like the way it's kind of segmented into different different chapters or different mm-hmm. parts and the yeah. way that you do shine a light on on the uh, Kind of some of the the uprisings and, mm-hmm. and like the um, yeah uh, the oh, the the big one that right yeah, yeah. the Warsaw Ghetto well, battle Warsaw Ghetto, but yeah, yeah so that's the interesting thing about the Holocaust is many people have used the phrase which I'm not a fan of at all is, mm-hmm. is sheep being led to the ca- yeah yeah that, that's and, one part in the documentary I was really right uh, into because when you yeah. guys uh, talk about that yeah and the remarkable thing is there was so much uprisings there was mm-hmm. there was so much revolts yeah. for example at Auschwitz in 1944 there was a prisoner revolt and prisoners who worked in the Sonderkommando who were forced to burn bodies and mm-hmm. lead the gassing process at Auschwitz actually brought in a bomb and brought in gunpowder oh, and were able wow. to blow up the crematorium and wow. were able to find axes or anything they could find and and um, charge at the Germans. Of course, they were completely outnumbered and they yeah. didn't have any automatic weapons, so the uprising was, was smashed within mm-hmm. less than an hour. But yeah. there was that courage and there was that um, humanity which was always there, no matter what was happening to these people, which are unimaginable. They always yeah. kept that sense of, of of their humanity and um, 
there was a lot of courage involved with it. Oh, totally. Like when there's that, uh, the survivor recounting, just like how it, like they felt alive in in Mm. that moment. And it's just like, that is, that's, that's a a triumph Mm -hmm. because that is what Nazis were doing. They were dehumanizing them, looking at them as Mm non-humans. And it's just like, just knowing Mm. that they were able to, to at least break free of that in, in some capacity is just really inspiring and exactly um, incredible and that's the thing is that you can take away pretty much anything mm-hmm. and they did take away absolutely everything from these yeah. from these people but the one thing that you can't take away is is that core humanity absolutely. and they were able to keep it throughout the whole process and i think what what they said specifically in the documentary about the revolts is that they knew that they were going to die from 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 yeah. these revolts they knew that there was zero chance mm-hmm. but they wanted to die fighting and they wanted to die with mm-hmm. with the, the dignity that they felt yeah. and they did um mm-hmm. and i think it's something to to admire and really learn from that even in the darkest periods in history um to really just stick out for what you believe in and yeah you know. oh absolutely um, so something I didn't get a chance to talk to you about uh, on the red carpet was that mm. you are an Indianapolis native. Yeah. Um, how like how did the, also how did this? Pro, uh, okay, let me take that again. Sure. You're from Indianapolis. Uh, how did you like decide to become like a filmmaker? Like how did like tell me about your history with with right. your relationship with film? Yeah. So ever since I was six years old, my dad and I have been going to movies like every weekend. Nice. And um, so just as like a film. I'm just a huge film lover, um, and I love to talk about films, and um, so it was always like a strong part of me, and especially when Christopher Nolan started coming out with all these huge, mega, beautiful epics like yeah. Inception and Interstellar. Those things were really just inspiring to me because it sort of matched absolutely exceptional narrative storytelling with mega innovative technical achievements. Mm-hmm. And that stuff started to really, really inspire me to want to pursue filmmaking. And um, so I directed a lot of short films okay. starting when I was like 12 or 13. Wow. Uh, but this was like my first like, legit sort of feature film sure. endeavor um, but yeah I mean film is just such a cool thing because it's able to really transport you anywhere introduce yeah. you to any story um, really it, it's just a great tool of, of storytelling that combines so many individual core storytelling elements I, I totally agree that's why I love covering it. yeah yeah <laughs> and, right uh, yeah we're all film yeah. fans yeah oh absolutely yeah uh, who would you say would be your uh, some of your inspirations in terms of like documentarians and everything do you have any yeah like, so my, my biggest documentary sort of uh, sort of person that I look up to actually is interestingly enough Werner Herzog oh interesting and um, nice. yeah so he, he has a very interesting approach to documentary filmmaking I think that the thing I love so much about his films is that you can just feel that they're able to breathe and yeah. he has these long sequences that are just music mm-hmm. and he, the, the images that he has and he uses mainly handheld camera work yep. and it's always very very simple very elemental but it always has a very like visceral emotional you know feeling and um, another one that I really really like and as cliche as it sounds Ken Burns I love his sure. films um, I, re- I remember going through the whole entire Civil War documentary oh, wow. series and Vietnam War and I just love how he's able to present information even yeah. if it's just a simple photograph to make that interesting and compelling oh, so those two for sure are, are, are big ones for me nice uh, yeah. and so how long did it take to like 
do all the interviews and stuff for this yeah. uh, project. So I actually started the like the the hardcore research and mm-hmm. preparation and planning and lining out the linear story because for this film, as you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. we laid it out linearly because we yeah. wanted to take the, the the audience through the Holocaust mm-hmm. step by step and show the fact that the Holocaust did not happen overnight. The killings right. didn't occur overnight. It was a result of hundreds of years of mm-hmm. sort of evolution yeah. and propaganda, mm-hmm. and it was very much so a, a natural evolution of what had been occurring over the past few thousand years. Mm-hmm. And so we start all the way back in like the fourth century yeah. for a bit, and then we go through, you know, the Holocaust, but also we don't end there. We go into the Nuremberg trials um, and the sort of reflections of the survivors looking back now. Mm-hmm. So we started all that preparation research at the U.S. Holocaust Museum in March. Mm-hmm. I spent three months filming the film. Um, I came back, I spent a few months editing the film, and then I did the music for the film. Nice. And uh, so it was sort of like a nine-month process all in all. But um, it was definitely nonstop and, and very yeah. constantly interesting and a lot of problem solving. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, so you also did the music as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did that process go? Like, did yeah. you have like ideas in your head like while you were creating mm-hmm. it, or was it like all in the? End? Yeah, I think the really interesting, fun thing about doing the music is the fact that it was all done in the same computer. So usually when oh, you're right. an editor on a film, you know, you're having to send out different cuts to the composer and mm-hmm. things are constantly changing and the composer is, is in another state or another right. wherever. And so for this film, everything was being done in one machine. So I was able to go from my editing software to my composing software and literally write cues in an hour and take it over into the film. So I wrote, we wrote over an hour of an hour and 30 minutes of music I think for the film which wasn't always used um, but um, the music is definitely something like whenever I'm filming even on set like um, we're not on set on this film but on location at all of these places I'm imagining melodies or Mm -hmm. sounds in my head and so when I get into the music stage it's really just like seeing how to make those come alive and bring them to to reality that's fantastic and like I I'm a film guy. I'm not like a uh, music guy at all, mm. but I, I really enjoyed the the score. Oh, of, oh thank it was you. Really great. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. how has your experience been with Heartland this mm. this uh, this week? It had its world premiere here. Yeah. Um, how did that go? How Yeah. How's the experience? So, I mean, I cannot be like more crazy grateful for Heartland because it was our world premiere. It was the first opportunity we had to share the film with audiences, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that so many people came out. I think yeah. both of our screenings were were sold out screenings. Yes. Yeah, um, and I'm just beyond grateful that people mm-hmm. came out and, and saw the film and there was a warm reception and I think the thing about Heartland that's so unique and, and exceptional is the fact that it's such a community yeah. um, so I've met so many people from around the world and gotten the chance to really get inspired by them and learn from them um, so it's 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 a, it's two weeks almost two weeks mm-hmm. uh, that I really just will remember for, for a long long time so yeah. oh that's yeah. that's great to hear and also yeah. you do have the advantage of being local as well so it's like right. you get to like go home and yeah. sleep in your own bed exactly so my house is literally three miles away from the awesome. main sort of uh, theater location at yeah. Heartland. So um, it's, it's definitely a very cool place to be. Nice. That's great. And yeah. have you been to Heartland before? Just as a- This is my first time ever nice. at any film festival oh, wow. and also at Heartland. So nice. it was totally new for me. Mm-hmm. And I've seen quite a few films over the past week or so. Nice. And it's just so cool having such a rich you know collection of different oh, kinds of movies absolutely. all in one place you know yep and they they've curated a, an incredible selection right yeah, i mean especially. greg and adam and julie mm-hmm. i mean they've all done a really good job of capturing like a really wide range of different kinds of films but also oh, just yeah. in terms of really low budget independent films yeah. all the way up to you know beautiful day in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and a24 netflix yep so you have a huge huge variety of films to choose yeah. Um, oh, yeah so it's a great place to come out and meet new people and uh you know 
Carmel and Indianapolis and this whole area is a fun place to be. So Oh, totally agree. Yeah. Um, so where can people find We Shall Not Die Now, like online? Yeah. And, like, so We Shall Not Die Now will be playing um, in Los Angeles. It'll have its Los Angeles Sweet. premiere on December 3rd. It will be joined by Dr. Berenbaum, who is the head curator of the U.S. Holocaust Museum. Nice. And uh, he'll be there, and um, he'll be speaking beforehand and giving a Q&A afterwards. And I'll be there as well. And then the film will be available worldwide on digital streaming platforms on December 5th, actually. Oh, so that'll be available on, on Amazon iTunes and uh, Google Play for anyone that wants to see it, and oh, that's, that's um, we'll also fantastic. be screening around at different other things like sure. Miami Jewish Film Fest and other sure. things. So, do you have a website or social media? Or we do. So it's we shall not die now. Dot, we shall not die now. Movie.com. and then we also have a Facebook and. Um, yeah. Nice. And uh, I do want to mention, uh, is it Dr. Berenbaum? Dr. Berenbaum, yeah. Berenbaum. He was the, he was the one that had a right. large chunk of, yes. uh, of uh, interview. Yes. Incredible. Like, his, yeah. like, just the way he articulated everything is just mm-hmm. so, yeah. just uh, uh, heart-wrenching, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and Berenbaum, I think he has such a rich way of communicating really massive ideas in such an accessible way. You know what I mean? Like, so many of the things that he's saying, he's able yeah. to say it in such, like, a simple Mm-hmm. understanding way that really connects with you emotionally and I think like the one thing about him is actually the interview that we captured was only two hours long uh, yeah. this like one day I think it was wow. five or six months ago but the amount of range that he covers in his, in his interview is, is pretty exceptional and hopefully that oh, comes yeah. through in the film yeah very thorough and, and just yeah. like I said just very well articulated and everything which yeah. is, uh, is great so yeah well, uh, yeah. thank you so much, Ashton, for yeah. chatting with me. And, thank you so much. Uh, congratulations on the film, on premiering it here at Heartland, yeah. on the uh, everything. Yeah, well, <laughs> th- thank you so much for, yeah. for having me. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, uh, thank you. All righty. Ashton out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm here with Matt Ratner from uh, the film is called Standing up falling down which i have not had a chance to see yet but i am so i'm i'm going to see it hopefully tonight um i'm so excited just just the pedigree of billy crystal and and ben schwartz i i'm a huge fan of his so i'm really looking forward to checking it out so thanks man yeah so why don't you go ahead and tell us about the film and uh your experience with heartland so far Sure. So uh, the film's uh, about a struggling stand-up comedian who fails completely in Los Angeles, has to move back home to Long Island, move in with his parents, uh, tail sort of tucked between his legs. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one who got away is there. She's gotten married. And then he strikes up uh, this unlikely friendship with his pot-smoking alcoholic dermatologist, as one does. (laughs) Sure. Uh, And uh, Ben Schwartz plays the struggling stand-up, and Billy Crystal plays the dermatologist. So if you've ever wanted to see Billy Crystal talk about skin skin conditions, this is your chance. Oh, I, I've been dreaming of that exactly. for, for years now. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm really excited to check to check this out. Um, can you tell us about like how it came about? Like you, you're the director. Did you also write it or? Uh, no, I produced it as well. Oh, um, I my background's in independent film producing, and I'd been looking for something to direct for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a producing colleague of mine sent me this script and read it, and immediately felt like I. It wasn't a story that I wanted to tell. It was a story I needed to tell. Nice. So, and the writer's a brilliantly talented guy by the name of Peter Hoare. He and I uh, worked together uh, for a while, and he, he's really become like one of, A, an incredibly close friend, but B, just one of the great collaborative working relationships in my, my career. That's awesome. Nice. And, and it went from there. Great. That's fantastic. Um, like I said, it sounds like a great movie. I'm really, like, it's one of the ones that, like, I circled in the guidebook. I'm biased, but I like it. Nice. Um, so, so is this your directorial debut? It is. It is. Nice. Congratulations. Thank That's you. That's fantastic. 
Um, how did the, how did it go in terms of the production and everything? Did like how has that experience been? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I think one of the benefits of coming to directing from my, my original background is in theater, and, and so I have a, a background working with actors, which is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And then coming at it from a producing background. I'm used to working with first-time directors, and I'm used to knowing how to sort of build a schedule and, and do various things during production to protect first-time directors. Mm-hmm. I'm just not used to that person being me. Right. right. Uh, but then, <laughs> you know, the biggest challenge in, in that regard is knowing, you know, when and how to take the producing hat off mm-hmm. so that you can really focus on directing. And, and part of that's having a great team. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate to have a number of people on board that I worked with before, and, and it really was, you know, knock on, I guess... We wrapped, so I don't have to knock on wood anymore. Right. But it uh, it really was a smooth, smooth production. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm sure it sounds like you had a lot of experience going into it as well on, on several different sides of it, so that's great. Well, I think there's there are a lot of good films that come off of bad sets, and there are a lot of... Uh, really lovely harmonious sets that produce really bad movies uh i think if you can have both it's much better nice great so how did billy crystal get attached to it as well yeah so i i never give credit to agents but i'll actually give (laughs) give credit to agents uh so we you know when you're trying to get a film like this made uh every major agency assigns someone to be basically the covering agent for it and so they they read it they form their own judgment about it and then they either advocate for it internally or not and we were really lucky because our, our person at Billy's agency uh, was incredibly uh, supportive of, of the script, met with me, incredibly supportive of, of me and the way I saw the film. And, you know, we'd had Billy on some initial total wish list of pie in the sky never going to happen. Sure. Uh, and got feedback that there might be some possibility he'd, he'd look at it. And, and the last thing you want to do is you know waste a month waiting for Billy Crystal to not read the script. Sure. Uh, but we, we felt like there was a good enough chance that he'd at least look at it. And then um, I think maybe we sent it to him two, three days later. I was on a plane back to Los Angeles to, to meet with him, wow. watching When Harry Met Sally on the flight to, nice. to cram. Oh, yeah. And it, it went from there. That is fantastic. Are you based in, in L.A.? Or? I'm based in L.A., yeah. Based in L.A.? So we, nice. shot, we shot in New York, but I'm based oh, in L.A. Oh, okay. Sweet. And uh, how did Ben Schwartz get uh, involved as well? So the the movie's really about this unlikely friendship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And because it's not a, a studio film, you know, it's yeah. not like we were going to have the ability to screen test. And so finding someone where that chemistry would, would be there from day one, because we also had a very limited rehearsal time, uh, was pivotal and so I had a short list of I think five or so actors for that we were looking at for that part Um, and then once we brought Billy into the fold brought him on board uh, obviously that chemistry being so important uh, he really sparked to Ben's work and then uh, Ben was actually shooting something in Atlanta so I we spent a lot of time on the phone I never uh, I didn't meet Ben until I think two days before we started filming. Oh wow! Um, but thankfully, through our conversations and, and through him chatting with Billy, uh, we're able to get him on board as well. That's great. I'm like I said, I'm really excited. He's to brilliant. See him. Oh yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, he's, yeah. Oh yeah. I also I think for both of them, um, but you know, the, there's a dramatic. Uh, ability there, and there's a, a, a sort of skill and a craft as actors where you know if, if you know Ben predominantly through his his, his UCB stuff, predominantly through his, you know Parks and Rec, um, his his range as an actor I think is really you know on display in this film. Nice, and that's what I'm really uh, that's one of the things I'm really excited about seeing, just because like like I, said, I know him from 
you know his comedic works work and everything. Also, his I gotta say his appearance on Comedy Bang Bang just oh yeah incredible, um, <laughs> both the TV show and the podcast. But anyway, um, so I'm really excited to see to see a, a different side of him that I'm not uh, accustomed to in terms of my fandom of him. I guess. Um, so this has uh, screened at Heartland. Uh, is this it? Uh, how has the festival run been? How has your experience been with Heartland as well? It's been great. So we, we premiered at Tribeca uh, and then sold to a, a terrific company called Shout Studios, who will be releasing the film in February. Uh, so if you're not at Heartland, uh, you can see it in February. I think we'll be in about 20 cities and, and on demand in you know all your various Congratulations. platforms. That's awesome. Uh, and it's exciting. Um, and then you know, being at Heartland is really special. Uh, because, first of all, I, I had a film uh, that I produced that was here previously. I'm from Cleveland, so the, the Midwest is near and dear to my heart. Nice. Uh, and they just do a tremendous job. A, they're passionate about all their films, and B, I think a lot of film festivals uh, are very niche. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's great about Heartland is is you can be exposed to so many things from Definitely. Oscar contenders to, mm-hmm. you know, the films that you haven't seen in theaters since the 80s that you get to see the 35 yeah. mil print of oh, yeah. to uh, <laughs> independent fare like ours. And and the ability to do all that in one contained space is, re- is really unique. Nice. And you said you've been at Heartland before with another film? Uh, so I, I wasn't able to go, but I had a film called Band of Robbers that was here a few oh, years okay. ago. Yeah. Nice. Is that still on Netflix now? I it is, yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, I, I haven't got a chance to see it, but uh, yeah. I, I, again, a little biased, but I ha- highly recommend it. Oh, uh, nice. We got the Matt Ratner seal of approval exactly. on Exactly. Perfect. Um, great. Yeah, so um, can you talk about like your inspirations as a filmmaker? Like, Who do you like kind of like look at in terms of you know who's inspired you the most in terms of just the film realm? I mean, I've always been drawn to stories that are, aren't neat. Uh, I've always believed that life is messy and that it's okay if... It's one thing for filmmaking to be messy. It's another thing for films to be messy. And when it's messy on purpose, that's okay. Uh, And I've always believed that life is is comedy and drama, and Mm -hmm. it's often both at the same time. You're often laughing and crying. And so for me, there uh, one touchstone for me for this film particularly was Sideways. Um, okay. Even nice. you know, it's I think Alexander Payne mm-hmm. tends to navigate that incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, and tends to find the 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 humor in the everyday, mm-hmm. and and he's, his work's always grounded in a realism that I, I really respond to. Um, there's a play I read uh, years ago. I think I was in college called Stones in His Pockets, okay. uh, which is an it's a two hander. It's an Irish uh, satire, and the that was the first thing I can remember experiencing. I, I saw it in. Uh, it's the first thing I remember experiencing where I was laughing so hard that I didn't notice when I got punched in the stomach. Oh, nice! Um, and so that's <laughs> that feeling has you know, and not in an emotionally manipulative way, in an emotionally earned way. That's that's really stuck with me. Nice, that's fantastic. And so, in directing this this film, um, were there any kind of like challenges or changes along the way? You said it was a fairly like uh, you know uh, everything kind of clicked together. But like, did did the project change or morph at all like throughout the process Sh- of shooting? Sure. Um, you know, it's been people. I think because of obviously Ben comes from an improv background. Billy's as iconic as it gets in the oh, comedy absolutely. space. Uh, people always ask about the the amount of improv on set, mm-hmm. and the truth is, we while well, there was some of that, um, and I think when you t- part of filmmaking is hire good people and empower them to do their best work. So if, if Billy or Ben wanted to try something anytime time permitted, uh, I, I would do it. Nice. But a lot of that work came actually in pre-production where, where we were, we really worked the script, uh, the four of us, the writer, myself, uh, Billy and Ben, mm-hmm. and, and to find the, the truth in it and to find, uh, 
to add Billy and Ben's voices to, to the characters. So a lot of that work was done done in prep, which on an indie where your shooting schedule is so tight, mm-hmm. uh, you really have to do it that way. Yeah. Um, and then there are a lot of things that you know change on the day. I think a lot of filmmaking is is having a plan so you can deviate from it. Nice. You know, not being so <laughs> rigidly devoted to the way you saw the movie in your head because it's the movie you're shooting now. Right. Uh, and you, you create those opportunities for serendipity. Nice. And uh, yeah, there are lots of things where you got to listen to your actors. Um, and there are a couple of specific moments where we changed blocking, we changed, uh, in some cases, we changed location mm-hmm. on the fly because of feedback from actors that uh, I always tell if if you don't believe what you're saying, there's no way you can expect an audience to believe it. Mm-hmm. So if something doesn't feel right, talk to me about it. Nice. And if we can make it work, we will. And, and sometimes production realities get in the way and we find a way to justify it. But yeah. Great. That's awesome. Um, and also, just kind of on the a similar subject like uh, do you have any like advice for aspiring filmmakers like because you come from you know production and everything and then this is your directorial debut like like what kind of like insider tips can you give for aspiring filmmakers who may be listening um it's a good question the there's a lot and there's a lot of different answers to it i think do stuff you care about um obviously there's I'm, I'm talking about specifically the sort of feature world. You know, there's there's the whole world of, of doing commercials. There's the whole world of, of doing things to uh, support the lifestyle, and that's all yeah. important. But if you're directing a feature, it's going to be two years of your life. And find find something that, you know, you care about that much. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, there's there's a point where I think it's never been a better time to get stuff made in a sense because you know we all walk around with video cameras in our pockets that are all yep. pretty good oh yeah um and to 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 be able to just start creating stuff it's it's a it's a unique discipline because you can't do it by yourself right you need a cast you need a yeah. crew and, and that's exciting but but we've never we've never been in a better time to wrangle friends together and just start start making stuff oh yeah um Listen to actors. I think that sometimes directors, uh, particularly uh, a lot of directors, come up now through music videos, through the sort of tech side of things. Oh yeah. Um, and and they they either don't respect or are scared of actors. Sure. Uh, and I think it was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got early in my career, uh, actually in a different career, uh, was that is uh, be smart enough to know what you don't know. Oh, nice. And, and don't be. Don't be so insecure and afraid that you don't ask questions. And I think one of the things that happens in the film business is because because we're also fundamentally insecure because sure. there's so few opportunities and so many people want to do it we think that we have to act like we know everything yeah. and in fact it's much more empowering and it leads to a much better work product mm-hmm. I don't care if it's Billy Crystal or a 20 year old PA mm-hmm. good ideas can come from anywhere yeah. and you'd be as a director incredibly uh, A. narcissistic and B. self-centered and, and short-sighted if you can't step away from yourself enough to recognize that right that's a fantastic answer um so yeah um great so have i asked you how the experience has been with heartland um, uh, yes yeah. yeah okay great and the answer uh, was terrific i'll great. reiterate it how's the experience been interview being interviewed by me um, just joking <laughs> don't answer that please i'll, I'll answer <laughs> off mic nice nice um and i will cry in my car um no but um, uh so that's great so uh First of all, congratulations, or second of all, or again, reiterating, congratulations again on the film. And, like, it's going to be, uh, it's going to have a theatrical run in February, you said? Yes. Nice. That's great. Um, yeah, congratulations. It, where can people find you online and find uh, the film online? Yeah, so, so we're on all of your preferred social media channels. Sure. Uh, the film's standing up, falling down. And if you, you know, look us up on any of your, you know, the Instagrams, your Facebooks, your Twitters, we're, we're there. 
Nice, nice. And uh, oh, also, does it have any other uh, festivals lined up or anything? Yeah, we're playing. Uh, we're, I'm sort of on the on a world whistle stop tour at the moment. So nice. we're heading to New Hampshire tomorrow. Oh wow! Uh, then I go down to Naples, Florida. Then I go to DC for Washington West, wow. uh, doing a special screening in Cleveland, which I'm really excited about. Sweet. It's my hometown. Yeah. Uh, then we'll be at the Gold Coast Film Festival in uh, uh, in Long Island. Head over to Napa Valley. Uh, we got got a bunch through the fall and and then into the winter as well. So if you're living anywhere, Google standing up, falling down. We awesome. might be at a festival near you. Perfect. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with me. And again, congratulations. And I can't wait to see it. Thanks, man. I pre- appreciate it. Yep. Thank All you. Right. Record here. Uh, so, yeah, so my name is Matt. I'm from obsessiveviewer.com. We're a local blog, podcast, all that. Um, yeah, so you guys are here for Samir, which is having its, had its world premiere already, is that correct? Um, here no, at Heartland. No, no, no. Not, yet. not yet. Okay, it's, it's about to have. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, how nervous are you guys? <laughs> um, and also, introduce yourselves and tell us about the film. Sure, yeah. Uh, my name is David Liu. I'm the producer of the film. Hi, my name is Maria De Sanctis, and I'm one of the co-directors of the film. Um, I'm Michelle Lukes, and I play Mercedes. Perfect. All right, and yeah, so your world premieres tonight. Uh, tell us about the the plot of the film as well. Yeah, so the film is essentially a modern day adaptation of the Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, nice. And uh, instead of being set in 19th century France, where we moved it to 21st century Los Angeles, wow. and specifically in the post 9/11 era. Mm-hmm. So it'll span 15 years from early the early 2000s to uh, essentially you know 2015, 2016, mm-hmm. and it takes place in both LA and Guantanamo Bay. Oh wow! So for people who aren't familiar with you know the classic revenge narrative, it's basically mm-hmm. about a LA resident who gets framed by his co-workers mm-hmm. and uh, gets sent to Gitmo for mm-hmm. 15 years where he essentially you know comes back yearning for revenge and mm-hmm. under a different identity wow yeah. that that sounds amazing that's that's awesome uh, especially for just the context of, of having it be uh, updated and everything for for you know modern era um yeah, so so your world premiere is when when is the world premiere? Let's let's go. So the world premiere is at seven thirty p.m. This first screening is at seven thirty p.m. today, uh, and it's at the AMC Castleton in Indianapolis. Nice, and uh, <laughs> it'll also be tomorrow as well at five fifty p.m. Perfect. So two screenings. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the film, first of all. Thank you. And uh, yeah, can you guys talk about like how it came about and in the process of, of making it and uh, kind of what what how you got here? <laughs> sure. So it's a USC feature film, um, and it's uh, funded by Warner Brothers, which is super exciting. Oh, nice. And basically, the way that the film works is they select nine directors to come together and co-direct the movie together. So they're nine students that are in the program. Mm -hmm. Uh, So fortunately I was selected as one of the directors to be a part of it, which is really exciting. And we kind of all, each of us direct a little segment of the film and then entirety we have to make sure it all flows all the voices are one so right before we shot we all went out and we shot a little test film so we shot our own section to kind of see what our styles were like and try to make it all so it was one in unison so that was kind of the process there that was involved which is really cool Um, for me that was interesting because I normally do dramas with comedy Mm -hmm. and lighthearted coming of age films so that was such an important part of the process because then I was like okay so this is what the other 
directors are due, and we have to make right. sure we all match. So yeah, wow. that's part of it. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I've, uh, yeah. That sounds like such an interesting kind of way to, to create, essentially. Um, that's fantastic. And uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, how's your experience been with Harlan? I'm assuming that you guys just got in. Is that right? We, we just Literally. got here. Yeah. Uh, okay, gotcha. Okay, uh, <laughs> waving so, that. <laughs> what to do with it? Uh, so, how was it acting in the film? And uh, you played Mercedes. I play Mercedes, okay. who is uh, the love interest of okay. our title character. Nice. Yeah. And what was the experience like uh, with uh, shooting it? I love this movie. I nice. loved working on this movie for so many reasons. Um, like I always tell people, it was the project that brought me back to life. Um, oh, nice. Uh, it was so collaborative and like mm-hmm. creatively free. Um, it was it was just such a joy. And also working with nine directors was mm-hmm. was very cool. It wasn't uh, it wasn't completely alien to me because I come from a TV background. So. Oh, nice. Often, I mean, we're always working mm-hmm. with different directors, um, right. but it's amazing how everyone brings their own special something to set, and, and they're all very, very individual. Um, but it just worked. It was so organic. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't actually seen the finished product, but as an actor in the process, um, it was seamless, um, and it was very inspiring. It was cool. Mm-hmm. So, so I loved it. Um, also, what I loved about these directors were they were all very actor-friendly, which oh, when nice. you um, get out there in the real world, it's actually quite rare. Sure. You know, there's a lot of directors that come up through production um, mm-hmm. as camera operators and stuff, and they're great, but yeah. they're very focused on the aesthetic, mm-hmm. whereas I felt like with, uh, with our directors, they were really also focus on the aesthetic but so mm-hmm. engaged with the narrative um, and also really respectful of the actors you know journey too and that was sure. really really amazing nice. to, to be a part of so yeah that's awesome 10 out of 10 from from me <laughs> <laughs> awesome well that's great and uh, how did the project evolve like throughout like the entire process like when like my thought is that like okay when you have like a single crew and single like director or pair of directors or what have you like you have like a singular vision but like with this type of project like how did it come about and evolve as the process went on yeah so like michelle and maria were sort of talking about with the television background and sort of multiple directors we sort of saw it and approached it as a microcosm of a television show okay and so the the unity aspect sort of comes from you know the producers, cinematographer, mm-hmm. production designer, various department heads of which there's only one. Right. And so you know the planning from the very early stages of the film, you know the script was streamlined mm-hmm. and we made sure that it was sort of one product where we could give the directors maximum space to be creative and to nice. work with you know all of the talent. Um, so the the process was actually really fun and not as daunting as it may seem like, mm-hmm. um, mainly because we just had such a good dynamic on set, like all of us. You nice. know, we shot for twenty five days in and around Los Angeles, nice. um, about thirty eight, thirty nine locations, wow. and you know, given a limited budget, I'm mm-hmm. really proud. I think we're all really proud of what we came up with. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it uh, when when I can. <laughs> I'm super busy with all this, but um, yeah, that's that's amazing. So, did you guys film any of the like Gitmo scenes or okay? Like, how was that? Like, in terms of like just finding a set and like 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 location scouting and all that. 
locations. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny because the driver on the way from the airport was asking us, so how was it filming at Guantanamo Bay? And we're like, well, we didn't. There's a little bit of movie magic involved. We uh, went to this prison called Mira Loma. It's a semi-active prison outside of LA, about an hour outside of LA, okay. uh, in the high desert. Wow. And we filmed there for three days. Mm-hmm. And it's just extensive scouting, you know, yeah. sort of like researching um, what Gitmo looked like and looks like mm-hmm. since there's such a big time gap yeah. that we had to cover um, and just really trying to be respectful towards yeah. history, towards the material, towards, mm-hmm. you know, this, the character itself. Wow. So because I think even though the story is fictionalized, mm-hmm. you know, there were many instances where we, during our research it came up that it, certain individuals were wrongly, wrongfully framed, wrongfully mm-hmm. imprisoned. Yeah. You know, so part of this, part of our goal was to give it, give the, give them a voice. Wow, that is that's fantastic. That's uh, just to give them a voice, not the like false imprisonment and everything. But um, yeah, uh, but that that's really amazing. And like you said, it gives a voice to to stuff that is recent in the past, but it's something that you know people can kind of forget about with it, like with different like like the 24-hour news cycle in general like everything there's such a short-term memory loss for the for everything that uh, it's great to have like a uh, something shine a spotlight on something like this um so your world premieres tonight as as we established um how nervous are you guys are you guys excited how how you feel going into the world premiere I think we're just mainly excited. We're all really happy and feel so grateful to be here. <laughs> Tired. <laughs> we'll see how we're feeling tonight. Hopefully our eyes are still open. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. I haven't seen the movie in its entirety. This will be my... Because there's been a couple of screenings. Have, but yeah. But I haven't been able to come to any of them. So this will be the wow. first time I see the movie. So I'm pretty excited. I'm like That's slightly awesome. nervous. Sure. You know me too, actually. I've seen it on my last... Laptop, but I haven't mm-hmm. actually seen it on the big screen yet because I couldn't attend the first one. So this is going to be big. Wow. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. super exciting. Wonderful. Yeah, we're. I'm excited. You know, yeah. I've seen the movie maybe 200 times through now. Sure. <laughs> From the editing room to the sound suites, mm-hmm. but you know, every time. Perfect. You know, you watch a movie that you make that you all made together, mm-hmm. and you see a scene, and you just remember what went behind, what went into that scene. Yeah. You know, that's 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 what how beautiful movie making is. Oh, absolutely, it's and it's something shared that, memory of the whole crew. Yeah, and that that kind of collaborative aspect and, and the just the, the art of it all is something that uh, I feel is celebrated pretty well here at Heartland and everything I've been covering for four years now. So it's something that uh, like it sounds like it was a good fit for to have you guys here. Um, We're very excited. Yeah. So do you guys have any other stops on the festival circuit? Like, where do you go from here? Anything lined up? So this is our first world, world premiere, obviously, mm-hmm. and we've submitted uh, as well to um, other festivals, mm-hmm. such as Palm Springs, uh, Newport Beach, so we're just waiting to hear back. Perfect. Uh, yeah, we're excited. Hopefully this is the great. first of many Absolutely. great experiences. And uh, where can people find you guys online, social media, like a website for the film? Like, uh... Well, all the directors, I think, have their own websites, <laughs> so <laughs> there's nine of us. You can look us all up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of interesting to see because everyone's a little bit different and has their own mm-hmm. voice. So nice. um, you can research us more there. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> my name is Maria DeSanctis. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
Uh, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, the movie has an Instagram, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, an nice. Instagram and a Facebook. Um, it also has IMDb and IMDb mm-hmm. Pro, so you can Perfect. find David's and Miriam's contacts there, I'm sure, as well. Um, and <laughs> also you can contact USC because it is a USC feature film as well. Nice. So you'll be able to give you more information as well. Perfect. And... Uh, Social media. <laughs> I mean, I love a bit of Instagram. Shelly Luke's. <laughs> so the Instagram handle for the movie is Samir.movie. Okay. S A M I R dot M O V I E. Sweet. Yeah, so you, if you go on there, you can see some of our behind the scenes photos, sort of Perfect. like all the crazy days and nights mm-hmm. that went into making it nice. and we plan on posting more as the festival circuit continues sweet so. awesome well congratulations on the film and on the premiere that is gonna be huge i'm sure so thank you uh yeah thank you guys for chatting with me and uh have a great rest of the festival and festival run everything thank you so much thank you <laughs> All right, and yeah, if you just want to grab that, I can get us kicked off here. Um, the yeah. <laughs> you guys waiting on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm here with uh, three more people from uh, Samir, a film that is showing here at Heartland uh, Film Festival. And why don't you guys go down the line and introduce yourselves and tell us about your role in the production of the film? So my name is Miriam Arcandiwal, and I am a co-producer on the film. My name is Iman Nazemzadeh, and I play Samir. My name is Jeremy Glazer, and I play Daniel Herschler. Perfect. All right. So we, uh, I've interviewed uh, the rest of your guys' crew that's here. Uh, so it's it's kind of a somewhat modern, but you know, set post nine eleven retelling of the Count of Monte Cristo to an extent, and it's also a USC film, which I was very interested in. Just the the process of it and everything. Can you guys speak to what the process was like for you guys in the terms of creating it and such a collaborative effort and everything? Yes, it was a freak show, but a love child <laughs> at the same time. Nice. Um, uh, it was very hectic. You had nine different directors with very strong voices. Um, you had a lot of talent that you know you wanted to keep you know, wanted to make the show look as organized as it did in front of them because mm-hmm. didn't want them to see that all the, you know, everything was falling apart behind the scenes all the time. Sure. So, um, but, uh, like, I... It was a lot of trust building. It was a lot of getting to know everyone, getting to build relationships so we could, you know, transform and just keep sculpting the story and making it be what it needed to be constantly. And, you know, that was literally staying on set an hour longer because we had to rewrite a scene because one director had a different version than the next director did. And you had to know each director's vision to make, you know, know that change was coming. Um, You had to talk to the actors to be like, does this feel right if we change this like this way? And, you know, right before they were going to go up and do it in a different scene. Um, So it was a lot of communicating. It was a lot of reworking things. It was a lot of thinking on your toes and... You know, we made it happen, but mm-hmm. it was a, it was definitely a challenge. Nice. Well, congratulations on it. Thank also, you. Also, just it's it sounds like a really uh, interesting story and a really it sounds great. It, it's yeah. having its world premiere tonight, correct? Yes. Nice. Yes. That's that's super exciting. Uh, how do you guys feel about it? And how do you guys feel about Heartland? Uh, did you guys just get in? Yeah, uh, we've been. Yeah, we just got in this morning, literally. So we're a little sleep deprived. Sure. <laughs> but. <laughs> um, 
but we're excited about it. I think it's the most exciting thing is, you know, in L.A. we live in quite a bubble, and so mm-hmm. when we we put our heart and souls into making sure this film was diverse and it had, mm-hmm. you know, told broke stereotypes and, you know, uh, didn't fall into the same tropes that Middle Eastern and um, stories about terrorism and whatnot mm-hmm. all, f- often fall into. And so to do all of that, I think bringing it here to the Heartland Film Festival is kind of the test of whether we succeeded or not and, you know, making our viewers empathize with our characters, making them walk Mm -hmm. away and, you know, think about a situation differently than they had before. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about tonight. I think it's going to be a true test to what we made. Awesome. And uh, what was the experience like just on the acting side of it like how did you feel about you know acting for several different directors how was that experience um it was uh, such a wonderful opportunity that i don't think will ever happen again unless i'm on a tv show sure and i get the opportunity to work with a director but you know you're working with a director on a tv show for eight days if you're on the show for mm-hmm. eight days because that's sort of how, how it shoots but right. Um, for something like this, you know, you have you're working with one director one day, and then you they bring in another. Di- well, actually, it was like three every three days or every four days. I, c- I can't remember, but it was really short intervals, sure. and um, it it was uh, it was amazing. Everyone has their own toolbox, nice, and uh, we're all sort of servicing uh, the greater vision, mm-hmm. and we try to make sure that no matter what we do and however we approach our work and craft. We, st- we always remain true to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a pleasure because I got to learn how other directors worked. And I'm like, how can I apply this to my work as an actor? Oh, yeah. It sort of trained me to be a better actor for working with directors in the future. Because nice. um, you just get so many vast, you know, they, and they, every director was very strong and mm-hmm. they had a very clear voice and they were... They had a very specific personality, mm-hmm. you know, so they knew that their stamp and brand mm-hmm. as that director was very clear for every single one. Nice. You know, and they really stuck, tr- stayed true to mm-hmm. that. So that was fun. Very that was a lot cool. of fun um, working with, with directors like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the most important thing for me before I got on set was to be as prepared mm-hmm. as possible. Right. Because I knew like you know it's it's one thing where you're working with one director and they're throwing curveballs at you mm-hmm. but when you're working with nine different directors yeah. and you're walking into a room you're sort of like a pinball if you don't have your your crap together and you're right. being tossed around oh yeah you know and you can sort of lose sight on the trajectory of where the character's going yeah um but uh i coached uh, for about a month with uh, i hired a coach um, and uh, we we worked two three times a week. I, I you know besides private coaching, I went to mm-hmm. her classes, and we really started to de- develop a really strong foundation for the mm-hmm. characters, so that when I walk on set, I was able to bring something that I felt very strongly about, very and cool. still at the same time have fr- ha- you know have a good time and mm-hmm. stay flexible. Nice, have yeah. that adaptability. Adapt- to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is that's fantastic. How about you? Yeah, it was a true testament to collaboration mm-hmm. because, um, I mean, it's also a, a testament to the producers who mm-hmm. really held this vast, large mm-hmm. crew and cast together because, you know, it all does trickle down. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt very safe um, and 
coming in each day not knowing really who you're working with and mm-hmm. and like like um, Iman just said it is a tr- it is important to come in with your work and your homework mm-hmm. done and your strong choices and knowing your character and where he's going where he's coming from because um, you have to have your foundation mm-hmm. in order to uh, be malleable to the different points of view of each director um, so it was exciting and it, it was um, exciting to um, be open to different points of view from the directors but also having your through line with trusting my own work but mm-hmm. also trusting them no matter who it is whether it's yeah. uh, someone less experienced more experienced man, woman whatever mm-hmm. it doesn't matter it's just we're all there to service this really important story absolutely and that's something that I'm really looking forward to seeing in, in the film is just the the story itself is just really uh, it's something that, that's important to our time and everything like the way our culture is and everything is like I, I was talking to, to the other guys about it like it's recent in our past but like if you kind of like it can in the 24 hour news cycle and everything like things just slip off our radar and everything we don't really like have that conscious like awareness of of you know things like false imprisonment and stuff like that especially with like Gitmo and everything and and all kinds of just really uh, really terrible things that are going on so it's great to have a film that kind of spotlights you know that it touches a lot of different um elements such as false Mm -hmm. imprisonment but also the racial profiling all of that and especially in the political climate that we're in Mm -hmm. now you know it yep history repeats itself in Mm -hmm. in in different ways but it does repeat itself and this film is so important Mm -hmm. to be put in front of those who don't necessarily get exposed to um stories that have genuine people behind the camera mm-hmm. that can speak true to these people and, and people going through this. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another part of being honored to be part of this film to nice. really op- hopefully open people's hearts and minds mm-hmm. um, to people of all different backgrounds. Yeah. And Miriam. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think not to get too political, but sure. I think, you know, recently... Um, these conversations have come up about, you know, George W. Bush again. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people try to scrape away the fact, you know, his past of being a war criminal, of just mm-hmm. everything that happened that was so horrible during that administration. Mm-hmm. You know, and really all of the atrocities that were committed with um, with his administration and everything that happened. And I think it's while our film is a fictional film and it's you know a take on a classic novel at at this i think it's so important to have art that remembers our history that tells the story of the atrocities that happened Mm -hmm. and i think to keep it alive and to not underplay what was happening at that time is really Mm -hmm. important and um just hearing that on the news and seeing this debate it just made me proud to work on the film on this film because i was like we did you know little things that we paid attention to like making mm-hmm. sh- Guantanamo Bay when it was first built um, it was so inhumane that they had just kennels they didn't have the facilities oh, they had to bu- they needed time to build prisons so they had mm-hmm. human kennels and that's what they stuck them in 
And so when, you know, it was very important to us for, you know, the film when we first started out in the present mm -hmm. that they were in human kennels. And, you know, a lot of directors were like, well, it's not as, as aesthetically appeasing as if we go and we, like, film in a prison. But I was mm -hmm. like, we will do that, but we're going to do it in the same way they did it. They're going right. to start off in human criminals, and then we're going to take them to prisons. Mm -hmm. um, so all of those little details and getting the little the facts right was really important to us. Um, and, again, even though it is a fictional story, I think being mm -hmm. accurate to those little aspects of what actually happened, I think is really important to do as filmmakers. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I commend you guys for, for making the film and everything mm -hmm. because, yeah, like in like you said, with all the stuff with, with George mm -hmm. W. Bush and mm -hmm. Ellen and everything that's in the news now, and, like, people, there is a tendency to misremember or completely block out, like, things in, in the past. Even with our current, like cultural attachment to social media where yeah. everything is like so instant and everything it's like it's important to continue to hold people accountable for actions that are completely deplorable so exactly um yeah so i i can't wait to see the film i'm i'm really excited and i'm, I'm excited for uh, you to see it <laughs> yeah absolutely and uh yeah why don't you go ahead and tell us where we can find you guys online uh the film yes. online social media all that. so right now we just have a social an instagram page which mm -hmm. you guys can follow and then the website will come to um we will post on that and the instagram handle is samir s-i-m-i-r dot movie um and if you follow that then you'll get all of our upcoming as uh, website updates and everything perfect yeah all right well thank you guys so much for chatting with me congratulations on the film thank you and for uh, best of us. luck yeah best of luck on the festival circuit with your and with your world premiere and everything um yeah it's uh, it sounds like it's a great film and i i can't wait to uh, check it out myself thank you so yeah. much thank you yep. awesome Whew. all right <clears throat> so, <laughs> all right so i'm here with april wright right all right. I'm here with April Wright, the director of Going Attractions, a definitive story of the movie Palace, which is playing at Heartland Film Festival. And also, just I, I want to point out, just it's it's so fitting that they screened it at the Historic Artcraft Theater in Franklin because that is such a beautiful place. Um, yeah. So, why don't you tell us about about the documentary and about uh, your experience with Heartland so far? Yeah. So the documentary is about movie palaces. I always say mm -hmm. in other countries they built palaces for royalty, mm -hmm. but in the United States we built them to see movies, which shows mm -hmm. you how important movies and that whole industry has been to our country. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the film covers the whole history of cinema, really, and, and how where and how we've seen films and how that has evolved over time. But it specifically does focus on the movie palaces, uh, not only the huge, uh, you know, People don't realize Radio City Music Hall was a movie theater, yep. uh, a 6,000-seat movie theater. <laughs> um, so some of them are that big, you know, 3,500 seats, 5,000 seats, but like the art craft are what we call neighborhood movie palaces mm. that had the same grandeur, the same design, uh, you know, the same different themes um, that you see at a lot of the big theaters, but they're just in neighborhoods. So they're the same experience. And we were really honored and, and lucky and had a great time playing on Wednesday night at the Historic Art Craft in Franklin that was built in 1922 yep. and saved from demolition and 
brought back to life, and it's really cool. It's really beautiful. That one started as uh, vaudeville, so they were showing uh, vaudeville and films, and they had they took me on a tour and showed me the dressing rooms mm-hmm. underneath, and they still have an orchestra pit and all of those yep. features that you would have had when you were doing live performance and films back in the day. Yep. So that was awesome. Yeah, uh, beautiful theater, and uh, I have had a chance to see the documentary. It is I, I really like it as just a movie fan and just a fan of the theater experience it's like it made me want to just like embrace that that venue like the venues of just movie palaces because it's it is kind of a a rarity these days almost to an extent and it's just it's just and the amount of like archival footage and photographs and everything yeah. that are in the film is just like it's I lived vicariously through the through the talking heads and everything right um, yeah uh, well and that's part of I think what I wanted people to have with the films I mm-hmm. went to theaters like this growing up and mm-hmm. even after well my first documentary was about drive-ins it's mm-hmm. going attractions definitive story the American drive-in movie and my family went to drive-ins a lot but we also went to these big old theaters and as I got older in college and things like that if I had a choice between a multiplex or going to an old theater even if it was you know I was in Chicago after college even if it was a rundown theater I would go there because Mm. it was just such a different experience to see a film in a in a place like that um, you know that was really ornate and had the big red curtains Mm. and all the you know all the little details Details, um, I would choose those places. And I think there's a lot of younger people now that probably have never seen a film in a place like that. Mm-hmm. And um, to, to bring this awareness when we're in this era of streaming mm-hmm. and, um, and entertainment becoming somewhat disposable where we're just watching and watching and then it's all kind of a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you go to a, a place like this to see a film, it creates a memory. It creates an experience and a Absolutely. memory and you're seeing it with other people. And, uh, and we don't want to lose that because mm-hmm. I think those things are culturally important to us as human beings and as communities, um, to have those types of experiences. So, you know, making people aware that if they have movie palaces, whether they're showing films or showing concerts, you know, go to them, go, go see something and and you'll create a great memory and have a great experience. And then you'll remember, Mm. oh, this place is so cool. I want to go back. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And that's what happens. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like my, my like pipe dream for my life is to like, do like a road trip that is just across the country hitting all the different, like, like, independently run like movie palaces movie theaters and stuff and just like just do that like that's my dream and like it's so again kind of living vicariously through the documentary is is a great experience um you also got some very great uh people to to do like the to kind of discuss it and everything like leonard moulton um is in i'm a huge fan of him and i respect his work a lot like uh what was the what was the uh how was it to to kind of put it together and get the get the different people uh, on to uh talk about it um well i always say that uh, someone gave me the advice and I followed it um, when you're telling a documentary to tell it from inside out don't be on the outside looking in and telling the story that you think it is get involved with the people that are closest to it and they will tell you what the story is and who should be involved and so I, I did follow that in this film and once I you know, I, I knew I was going to make the film I started doing research and I got involved with places like the Art House Convergence which is an association of art house theaters, mm-hmm. so they gave me a lot of um, you know interesting insights of you know theaters that 
are historic or you know still showing films. Mm-hmm. I got involved with the Theater Historical Society, and they had a huge archive of photographs that they gave us access to. Yes. So that's where a lot of the photographs in the film mm-hmm. came from. So it was really good to have their support. And, um, and yeah, people just will start telling you, like uh, Dave Strohmeyer, uh, he, he doesn't call himself this, but a lot of people call him Mr. Cinerama because he, he, <laughs> he made a documentary about Cinerama. He's been nice. restoring Cinerama. He's known for that. So, of course, he was the go-to guy for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, early on, I didn't know Radio City Music Hall was a movie theater. You know, you think of the Christmas show and the Rockettes and all that. Mm -hmm. And so when we started talking to people, someone said, oh, well, you've got to talk to this woman who saved Radio City Music Hall. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, why would I want to talk to her? Well, that was a movie theater. (laughs) I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So once you get into the community... Um, they'll start to tell you people you should talk to. And she was, you know, just a, a perfect representative from that aspect of people mm-hmm. who are preservationists and save these places. Oh, yeah. And so you you just try to find um, just diverse perspectives and points of view, and you kind of structurally map out, you know, the chapters or the topics and who can speak to each one so that each person kind of shines in a certain area where they're an expert and, um, and you know, just kind of map it all out and figure out, do I have all the topics covered and do I have different right. points of view? So there is a lot of, you know, people think documentaries are left to chance kind of mm. a lot of times, but there's a lot of writing and a lot of research and a lot of structuring yeah. to get a documentary mm-hmm. to, to be what it should be, I think. Absolutely. And what I, what I really enjoyed about the documentary is the way that, like you said, it's, it's kind of chronological. It goes from, it, it's, it's an expansive history of it. So it's like, it's very thorough with all of the different details and stuff, like dating back to just the early days of, of motion the pictures. The invention of motion the pictures, yeah, in yeah. the late 1800s. Yeah, we oh, go through yeah. everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing. And it's, yeah. so, it's so unique because like, the, the amount of archival footage and photographs and everything you have mm-hmm. in it is like, it tapped into like a nostalgia that I don't for something that I don't have a nostalgia for because I've didn't know it then. existed yeah. right exactly right. it's just it's really as someone who loves the the movie theater experience in general yeah. it's just like that it really spoke to me and and um, it's kind of like yeah. to understand things going on now you do have to understand because it's like building oh, yeah. blocks like once you understand this and understand then this mm-hmm. happened and it's impacted by so many different things not only cultural changes but financial things and technology things right. and putting all those it is it's like you're it's building blocks of and you have to like understand this before before you can really understand why that's important. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the end, um, you know, I just was mentioning the woman who saved Radio City Music Hall. Mm-hmm. She told me that's one th- thing that she loves about the film is that now people, when they see it, will understand why they get upset, why they fight for these places. Because yeah. if you, you know, if you don't really understand why they were important or architecturally why they're significant, mm-hmm. you know, historically, you know, what piece they play in the history of our country and our evolution mm-hmm. of this you know thing that we like going to the movies oh, yeah. um you know once you understand all that then you can understand why people want to save them why they get upset Absolutely. and so it just it it, it, it all you know it, it, you you build it all together to get to the end to really understand it yeah absolutely and uh i do i do want to ask you this question so where's your favorite place to see a movie <laughs> like just I, that may be a loaded question but like your favorite uh, place uh to see a movie 
Wow, that is a tough question. <laughs> I live in Los Angeles now, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of great places. Mm-hmm. I go to, um, well, one of the theaters we shot in is Quentin Tarantino's New Beverly Theater, mm-hmm. and I go there pretty often just of because of the cool programming and unique mm-hmm. films that you can't see and that you certainly can't see on film. Right. And they've always, even before he owned it, they played great films and great double features, and I went there yes. a lot. So I, I like going to see old movies. Mm-hmm. I go to the Egyptian a lot and the Arrow yes. Theater. I go to the Chinese. I go mm-hmm. to, um, I've seen movies recently a lot at the Unite Artists um, mm-hmm. that we cover in the film, uh, which also is doing concerts and shows and other things, but they do a lot of special screenings. Nice. It's always cool to go see a movie on mm-hmm. the screen there. Um, I go to the Arc Lights, I go to the Alamo. Nice. So mm-hmm. I, I go everywhere. Um, nice. But if there's opportunities to see films, especially if they're older films, mm-hmm. and they were meant to be seen on those big screens Absolutely. and even if you've seen them you know at home on, on TV or whatever a bunch of times oh, yeah. seeing them with the audience on that big screen the way they were intended mm-hmm. is a completely different experience oh, and, and like we said it creates that memory too oh yeah oh yeah you know, like when I saw Lawrence of Arabia for the mm-hmm. first time I went and saw that at at a big theater mm-hmm. because right. you should uh, yeah. <laughs> see it I that way the first time the you know oh yeah um, I uh, one of my favorite like theater going experiences this year alone like because I, I really like how there are these these anniversary screenings and stuff like like the chains are doing like like last year I saw Schindler's List on the big screen uh-huh. like that was amazing and uh, and uh, oh just a few weeks ago I saw The Shining yes. um, the new 4K restoration of it and everything yeah. but like my favorite like experience in the movies this this year and I, I see movies all the time is at the uh, Historic Aircraft Theater um, I got to see Seven Samurai uh-huh. <laughs> on 35mm prints uh-huh. and it was like it was just mind blowing to me because I, I I adore that movie because I was a snobby fifteen year old uh, <laughs> film nerd who saw it because it was you know oh a, a Japanese movie from nineteen fifty four with samurai like okay this right. is my favorite movie ever and then I watched it more and more it's like oh these are the reasons why this is my favorite movie ever because it's this and right the, and so things. many films based on that exactly yeah. and like just the opportunity to see that. On the big screen, yeah. especially in 35 millimeter. Yeah, and seeing things on film has become so rare. Oh, absolutely. And um, the New Beverly only plays on film. That's and great. some of these art house theaters have converted to digital, but also mm-hmm. have kept their 35. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll see where that goes. I, yeah. I've been at some conferences where the people from Kodak have talked about possibly branding theaters, oh, you know, like here, you know, see prints on Kodak film or whatever and hmm. trying trying to partner um, yeah. so that people can find those places mm-hmm. that are still playing film. And, you know, records, uh, yeah. I just read recently they sold more vinyl this year oh, uh, wow. than, uh, you know, digital copies of songs oh. or whatever. So media, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, will change, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, people love a, ni- a nice digital print. They're very mm-hmm. clear and pristine, and yeah. you know, as opposed to film where they were in the the cases and they were going from theater to theater, so they would get worn with each play, yeah. and that you know, so there's something tangible about mm-hmm. the film that you can see in the oh, print, yeah. the the miles that it has on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's benefits cost wise to digital that you can mm-hmm. get it around faster and easier, right. but it, but it, yeah, it's a different experience seeing 
a film digital Absolutely. and um, and then 35 mm-hmm. and in most cases the any new cinema you're going to is not going to have a 35 projector you're right. going to see those films in historic theaters Absolutely. so yeah, and yeah. it's a memory. It's an experience oh. when you have the opportunity to do that. Take take totally. those opportunities. Oh yeah, like uh, again, the art craft. Like that's pretty much the only like theater of its kind in in the area here in Indianapolis that I'm aware of, at least. But like they, a few years ago, they did a uh, like each year they do kind of a, um, a marathon kind of thing, like two day thing. Like this year, I'm I'm so upset that I missed it but it was like an Alfred Hitchcock thing oh so, that would be great yeah they had <laughs> I think they had Vertigo The Birds yes uh I think Psycho, too. But, like, they have, like, six films. I Um, did that. I was working in Palo Alto, California, and there's a historic theater there that had Mm -hmm. been restored. And I went to see... It was two Hitchcock movies. It was Vertigo was definitely... And I think North by Northwest. Mm. And I hadn't seen them before. I'd been holding, holding off. Sure. And this was, you know, years ago. Yeah. But seeing both of them in a historic theater Mm -hmm. as a double feature on film... Mm -hmm. I've been. I mean, I knew I liked yeah. Hitchcock, but because I'd seen Psycho and a few of the mm-hmm. other films. But man, after that, I was hooked. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like a few years ago, they did the uh, Artcraft did a. Uh, they called it the Cyfright Frenzy, which was uh, four, uh, four or five, I think. I don't know how many, but like classic, like science fiction films. Uh-huh. So like, I saw the original Godzilla. Uh-huh. Um, uh The original. Uh, oh wow. Uh, Godzilla and wow, what? Uh, why Maybe can I like think of the, the name? original thing or something like that? A no. lot of times they do those. Oh, yeah. that'd be good. Um, but wow, I'm completely blanking on it. But anyway, it was it was yeah. um, incredible. It was incredible. But to kind of talk about like the the film aspect of it, like I I was like it was a two day thing, and like on the second first or second day, obviously, um, <laughs> I was sitting kind of like in the in toward the back toward the back of it because it was it was busy and like after like three films like i it was so interesting because like i could smell the projector because it was like right mm-hmm. behind me and it's just like that's a memory that i'll have forever it's just right. like being able to see oh that. yeah yeah the um, smell of a projection room is, yeah uh, yeah yeah it's it can be intense um yeah. <laughs> but yeah yeah um so getting back to the documentary and everything so who would you say is like what uh, what filmmaker do, would you say like influenced you the most in, in your career as a filmmaker? Hmm. Now that's a good question for documentary world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I like genre films a lot too. So nice. I do like Hitchcock. I do like mm-hmm. Brian De Palma. Nice. Um, so those are some of my favorite filmmakers. But in documentary. Um, I really like Errol Morris and a lot oh, of nice. his films. I thought The Fog of War was just brilliant. That's one I think about all the time. I love nice. The Kid Stays in the Picture. Mm-hmm. I've seen that one a million times. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I do like documentaries that have a historic aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of great modern ones. I loved um, 20 Feet from Stardom. Oh, nice. Uh, although that had a historic element, too, about mm-hmm. how, how that music was made. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I could list documentaries all day. There's so mm-hmm. many. I watch a lot of documentaries. Yeah. Um, I just, well, Hits, Hitsville, Motown, I just was watching on Showtime the other day. Oh, nice. It was great. Um, cool. <laughs> uh, there's just so many good ones. Um, nice. But in my influence style-wise, I, uh, 
I don't know. I, I tend I tend to like faster pace. I think mm-hmm. um, rather than something that's very very slow. And I I get a lot of people. Um, that are complimentary about my documentaries that they're not slow, that they're right. not like some slow, boring documentary. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people will say that I'm sure. kind of um, faster in how I give the information, which some people are like, slow down, there's too much information. <laughs> but a lot of people are like, when I watched it the second time, mm-hmm. there were a million more things I didn't even catch. Oh, and, yeah. that, and I love that about it, that there's layers of details mm-hmm. and information that you can enjoy it the first time. And then the second time, you'll catch something a little more. And the third time, you'll catch something a little more. Mm-hmm. And in this film in particular, um, like, for example, I will show the same theater as multiple aspects over time Mm -hmm. and so you'll see the same theater maybe three times throughout the film that somebody who doesn't know the topic that well might not notice that but people who are really into the topic will know that and will Mm -hmm. appreciate that so there's there's definitely layers to this I showed it at two um art house theaters two two historic theaters Mm -hmm. in the Buffalo New York area uh, about a month ago and they have sort of a local Buffalo theater historian Mm -hmm. who everyone kept telling me you know well when you go there you got to talk to this guy you got to see this guy and he came to the first screening and he saw the film and he really liked it and then a week later we screened at a different historic theater and he came to that one too and so I asked him afterward I said "What, what did you think seeing it the second time and he just looked at me really happy and he said I loved it even more the second time. And I was that's like, awesome. as a filmmaker, that's what you want to hear. Oh, absolutely. You know? Especially somebody who that's their thing and they're mm-hmm. an expert and that they're seeing it and learning and mm-hmm. enjoying it even more the second time. That made me really happy. <laughs> that's great. And it is it is a very a very great like love letter to just the experience of, of yes. movie houses and the history of it. And it's just, it was right in my wheelhouse. Thank um, you. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so you previously directed Going Attractions, the definitive uh-huh. story of the drive-in movie. American Drive-In American movie, Dri- yeah. There you go. And so, I've also recently directed one on stunt women that is not oh, out yet. Nice. But it's another aspect of mm-hmm. cinema history, and, um, and that one was amazing, mm-hmm. too. For nice. example, I did not know, back in the era of silent films, in the mm-hmm. teens, women were writing, directing, producing, and performing stunts, jumping from motorcycles onto trains or off of bridges onto trains or driving motorcycles into water, like all these Mm -hmm. things that you're like, that's so crazy. And now today, a hundred years later, we're talking about can women do some of these things? And it's like, yeah, learn your, watch your film history. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's, that's amazing. So that one I'm excited you know nice. that should be coming out sometime next year. So I've already Sweet. worked on that. Is that going to be another like going attractions, a definitive, or is it this? Different th- it's different because I got hired okay. to direct that one, so oh, nice. it's it's not part of this series. But okay. although it is similar because it's a it's a little known aspect of cinema that Absolutely. goes through the whole history of cinema through the view of stunts and especially women doing stunts and they're amazing Mm -hmm. so that'll be coming out soon sweet that sounds incredible so yeah uh, social media website uh, do you have for for this film yeah it's just uh, the website is www.goingattractions.com and we're on Instagram and Twitter Mm -hmm. and all that mostly under going attractions so you can find it everywhere yeah great awesome and And we have uh, distribution so we're coming out 
Um, we have our world theatrical premiere next week on October twenty oh, fourth wow. mm-hmm. at the Lemley Theaters in Los Angeles. It's wow. playing for a week in a bunch mm-hmm. of their locations, and then we have our Chicago premiere November twelfth at mm-hmm. the Historic Music Box, which is celebrating oh, their ninetieth anniversary. Wow! And so we're part of that celebration, and then Very it's cool. just being booked all over the country. Um, into a lot of historic theaters, but mm-hmm. also multiplexes and everywhere. Nice. We're, we're being booked everywhere. Wow. Well, so congratulations. People That's incredible. should be able to find it if yeah. they pay attention. We'll, we'll be mm-hmm. booked through the end of the year and also first quarter of next year for sure in theaters. Perfect. We're doing a very big theatrical run. Nice. And then it'll be, you know, streaming and everywhere mm-hmm. else sometime early next year, too. Great. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. And uh, take it from me, uh, listening, uh, see this in a theater. I mean, that's yeah. just, it's, that's. It adds it, another yeah. dimension, Absolutely. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. when you uh, see what they're, you know, they're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, the balconies or whatever it is, yeah. you can look and be like, oh, there, I get what they're talking about. There it is. Oh, yeah. Talking about the organ grills that covered, mm-hmm. you know, they had the big organs in all these theaters and yeah. the pipes were built into the walls. So sometimes you're like, oh, that's Incredible. just cool architecture. Once you see the film, you're like, no, that's where yep. they're covering the organ pipes. Yep. Because they're part of the wall of the theater. It's exactly. incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, and congratulations on the film, and uh, and I can't wait to see the stuntwoman uh, one that you're doing, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, I really want to check out the drive-in movie It's one on Amazon well. Prime right now, Sweet. but you can also buy DVD everywhere, Perfect. every retailer off our website, too. So, awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, check that out at goingattractions.com, and uh, thank you so much for chatting with me and uh, hope you have a yeah, great Yeah, it was fun. It was very fun. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening to us and for uh, for checking out the podcast if this is your first time. We do have a lot of different uh, stuff out there. We have uh, reviews posted on ObsessiveViewer.com, mostly, mostly me and uh, one of our contributors, Ben, who's been on the podcast before and is going to hopefully be on the podcast sometime next week to talk about Heartland as well. He's been doing great work posting reviews on the website at ObsessiveViewer.com. Um, also follow me on social media at obsessive viewer kind of across the board and uh, let's see what else uh, yeah um, also again follow all the filmmakers and everything and and heartland as well it's a really great festival and I'm really excited to uh, be able to cover it as much as I have um, uh, yeah, and oh, that's the other thing. Check out our other podcasts. Uh, Tiny and I have a t- uh, Dark Tower Stephen King podcast called Tower Junkies. That's found at towerjunkiespod.com. And finally, I have a solo podcast called Anthology, which can be found at anthologypod.com, which is a solo one-man podcast reviewing The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer, as well as bonus episodes covering modern anthology science fiction shows such as Black Mirror and uh, some other shows. So, <laughs> all right. Right, so I'm going to get this episode posted. Thank you guys once again for for uh, for listening, and hope you guys seek out these films and these filmmakers as well because they are really talented. Uh, once again, this has been one of the best years that Heartland has had uh, in terms of just content and just the amount of really incredible films at the festival this year. So until next time, we're going to have a uh, next time we're going to have a. Uh, uh, probably a review of a film with me and uh, uh, with me and Ben, and there's another red carpet, so I'll probably have uh, interviews from that as well. And then finally, after that, we're going to follow it up with our final episode of the Heartland coverage, which is going to be me talking about the films I saw, as well as the special presentations and everything. Um, yeah. Also, final, final thing. I have been doing vlogs on Patreon, so if you're a Patreon supporter, um, 
if you pledge one dollar, you get access to a, an RSS feed with content, just audio content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. And if you pledge five dollars or more, you get access to those video logs that I've, I've been doing throughout Heartland when I can, and also um, v- uh, video reviews of, of movies that we see in the theaters uh, immediately after seeing them. And also, final, final thing, shout out to Matt Andreco, supporter on Patreon, friend of the show, and just all around great guy. Great guy. He actually sent me a gift in the mail um, that is a selfie stick slash tripod so that I can uh, make these videos for Patreon without it being really uh, like found footage level of shaky cam work so very thankful for that uh from matt and draco uh so thank you so much and that's it that'll do it for this episode thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next time And now, in lieu of a special clip from the Patreon-exclusive RSS feed, I'm actually going to play an audio clip from one of my vlogs that I'm recording throughout Heartland Film Festival, which can be found at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. If you pledge $5 or more, you get access to the full vlogs and videos of immediate reactions to movies that we've watched in the theater. Um, So yeah, so check that out at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you and enjoy. It juggles a lot of stuff, and I feel like, unfortunately, one of the shortcomings in doing that is that we didn't, I feel like we didn't get a, um, enough information about Lennon Lacey as a, as a, as a subject for the, for the film. Um, there are some kind of, I wouldn't call them revelations, because, because they're not. Um, there are some interesting tidbits about him as a person in his personal life that aren't made known to us until uh, well into the documentary and it kind of raises some questions about like the the way that it's presented raise some raise some uh, raises some questions about how like like what could have led to his death like they don't to their to their um credit they don't uh really go into they don't like try to solve it or anything it's not uh, not necessarily a true crime documentary but they do like leave not hints but they kind of they paint some people of the of the community in a certain light to make us think that maybe they're they had something on it or something to do with it the obsessive viewer podcast is edited and produced by matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com for a full archive of our episodes, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer. And follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Fekis and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. 
You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty!